Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby Masochistic Kink Podcast. <laughs> where every week we invite a different person from the world of rugby to, not the town of rugby, the world of rugby, to look back over a moment that they didn't enjoy from their life (laughs) and reflect on it in some great detail. After last week, where we had Stuart Lancaster watch back the kick for the corner from 2015, the second person that comes to mind when you think of rugby people and Lancashire, we are joined by Mr. Lee Calvert. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Stuart Lancaster's from Cumbria, but I'll let that slip. <laughs> oh, it, he's called Lancaster. I'm giving. I'm giving myself. Oh, fair half a enough. Point. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. That's the it's first snipe of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you invited me on for this game. I've honestly, I've oh, no old bard. And the first person that comes to mind when you think of rugby and gardening. It's also Lee Calvert. No, um, Josh Gardner, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, Mike. You know, I I feel like you'd think I would have enjoyed the game that we're going to watch today more than Lee did, but I'm genuinely not sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just raise a point? What the fuck is Josh doing here, by the way? <laughs> He's not English. Is it not bad enough you're putting me through all of this? Other than the fact just to have, just so I can have the three of you going at it for the next however. No, that is, that is literally the reason. This was the easiest pitch in the world to Josh. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, by the way, in case you forgot, England get nilled. Well, (laughs) it's good though. It's a good crossover. As we said before, that I think the listenership of this podcast is the listenership of blood and mud, but slightly smaller. Like, I don't think there's anyone that listens to this that needs to be introduced to who the two of you are. So yeah. it's, look, it's just, it's very exciting to cram one inside here. That's oh, said, though, Robert, well, by the way. Yeah, Hi. you forgot to introduce yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. person who is on this podcast, which means I am actually the least likely person yeah, what are you that anyone doing who listens to this will know. <laughs> so <laughs> why are you here? What are you doing here? Because I'm a lifelong Springboks fan. That's why. <laughs> Especially the situation of them. <laughs> yeah, I've passed myself off as that for money. Um, so, <laughs> so the game today is England's glorious. I mean, it was a a real attempt for them to recapture. I think both sides, both England and the Springboks, attempt to recapture their greatest ever, most iconic World Cup moments for South Africa. That was winning the '95 World Cup for England. That was Micah having a really shit game. Um, <laughs> And I think both of them succeeded in that. Both of them really got away with that. It's the infamous 36-0 game from the pool stage in 2007. So, Lee, you'd started doing the Blood and Mud blog by the time this all this World Cup <laughs> well, kicked off. Oh I, I cannot this... imagine what you wrote after this game. <laughs> well, I'm, I have been into the Internet Archive, so more hello. Oh, later. But it was oh, a, hello. 
I basically started Blood and Mud, the blog, in advance mm. of this tournament because I'd been editing a cricket blog for a company called Shiny Media who got given a load of VC capital in the middle of uh, the right. 2000s because people thought there was money to be made for some fucking reason in this, in this <laughs> book. And they immediately went and bought a really posh... It's true, this. They went and got like a really posh HQ in mm. Soho somewhere. And like staffed it up and like blinged it up. It was literally like factory records, you know, like the ten thousand pounds sort of like, <laughs> you know, conference table type thing. Wow! And they were throwing money at everybody. And they said, and I just and I was doing, I started writing by doing a Coronation Street blog. Believe it or not, <laughs> I got writing on that. And they said to me, and, and I spotted had this dormant wow. cricket blog. So I wrote to them and said, "Can I do sort of this cricket blog?" And they went, "Yeah, I was about you do." We'll pay you seven pound a post, do five posts a day, and get ten writers to do ten posts each as well, or something. Because they were just throwing money, just trying to get everything. <laughs> Long story short, it all fell over after about six weeks, and I and I so I, I then decided to do my own, which is Blood and Mud, mm. which started in. So I literally start. I think my first ever post was to announce that Dave Strattle was injured for this oh, wow. World Cup. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of I was heading straight off with the big think pieces on rugby. You know, <laughs> it's incredible how far you've moved from a piece on Dave Strettle getting injured to the present day going on a podcast where you're looking at a, this specific game <laughs> yes. 16 years prior. Yeah, you've but moved it, about two months forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so it's really weird having an artifact of the actual thing from the time and then watching it again, which I suppose mm. we'll, uh, we'll come on to. Where in where in around this World Cup did it shift from news about David Strettle getting injured to flow the flowcharts? Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to go back. I think the shit good races that appeared by this point because that's, okay. that's been with me the longest. But yeah, it was, it was a it was it is a strange old one to go back there. But I see it's all in the internet archive now because the actual blog itself was gone ages ago. Yeah, yeah. The hosting down, and we just me and Josh just bang on about all kinds <laughs> of stuff for two hours a week now instead. Mm. Josh, do you remember where you were from this World Cup? What's your kind of standout I mean, from it? Yeah. I mean, I was I was in Cardiff doing my journalism postgrad at this point. So I was sort of toying with the idea of being a rugby journalist this year and then just decided to not be. But like this was a point where I was sort of vaguely paying like sort of genuinely aspirationally doing like going and doing match reports and interviewing mm. people like Arwell Thomas for some reason. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> weirdly enough, my end of year project in this was about uh, re- regional affinity in regional rugby. Oh and, wow! And All whether right, in the rubbish. in the five I know in the five years since since the regions had come in, which it was only you know four or mm. five years at this point, whether they succeeded in in breaking down those old club divisions and i interviewed mm. uh richard holland who was the ceo of the blues at that point i interviewed dale mcintosh who was head coach of ponty at that time but also a blues employee so he was a really bad oh. choice for a person to speak to about <laughs> ponty affinity and for some reason i also spoke to our thomas and he was just like yeah neath like the ospreys because of course they did because they were owned by mike cuddy at that point and he was bankrolling <laughs> neath to win the league every year so. <laughs> there's only so many times so. arwell thomas can retell that one story about running to the dead ball line i feel like that's that's all he's had to sit on for about 40 years now yeah he was sent i i drove down to the knoll from like cardiff to mm. interview him before neath training on a wednesday night but he was at that point, he was, he was obviously like it was still semi-pro at that point. So he was working for like a dental like equipment. He was just doing sales for like a dental equipment company. 
And so I got to the knoll and I got a phone call from him going, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm stuck in traffic down in Clenetley. I'm going to be late. And in the end, I ended up interviewing Arwell while he was sat in a traffic jam in Mandy. And then he turned up and had to go straight into training. So I watched Neath train really badly for 15 minutes. And then I was like, this is my Wednesday night. Why am I wasting my time here? And I just went home. And then you asked the same question to the guitar journalist. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck this. Yeah, guitars. But yeah, I remember what vividly, what weirdly, I've because obviously I watched most games in this World Cup because I was a student and I had nothing mm. better to do. But I have a weird, vivid memory of watching this game in a pub that is now a nightclub. That was it was called yeah. Elliot's at the time. It's now called Jack's in Aberdeen, and it was in the little bar area. And I remember quite vividly going, "Oh yeah, we'll go down." Me and my mate Mike were like, "Yeah, okay, we'll go down and we'll watch this game." And then after about fifteen minutes, we just started playing pool. <laughs> and... <laughs> And the pool was much more. <laughs> Even the humiliation of England wasn't enough to hold your attention. You know, no, it was, this America, is really this bad. Is what, this, is, this is what this game is is going to be. I actually don't remember where I watched this game. I remember where I watched the final against Spoiler mm. Alert, which was the same two teams. I was in. I went to. I left. I was living in Cardiff in 2007. And mm. I actually went to Richmond to watch the final because I wanted to get out of Wales. To yeah. watch the final, but um, <laughs> I don't remember where I watched this game. I'm guessing at home because I was the the father of two small children by oh, this wow. point. So wish we had a podcast then. Imagine the content I could have generated. <laughs> Imagine the first 45 minutes of having small kids like Josh is doing, going to embark on soon. So. Do you think you were in the camp of giving England a hope at this World Cup? As an England fan, and I know that it's it's a very strong word, fan, for yourself, but yeah, were you feeling optimistic about being English uh, in a rugby context? Or Absolutely not. I mean... <laughs> The stench around the whole thing coming in was, if you're okay for me to do this now, mm. is, yeah. I mean, first of all, you've got the Raspberry Ripple kit. That bodes <laughs> yeah. ill for, for any situation, doesn't it, really? And the away that, can look like Swindon Town. Which that kit is work. genuinely... But in fact, both of the kits in this game, I hate them so much because that England kit, this fucking snail trail kit, is mm. the worst example of Nike's sort of rugby vinegar strokes where they didn't really care at this point. And it was like, especially because they recycled it for France, Saracens and Toulouse. And it only yeah, really yeah. made sense for England. But they were just like, oh, we'll just do it, everybody. And then that Bok kit is that Canterbury template that I just came to hate because <laughs> everyone had it. Mm. And it was exactly the same. Yeah, Australia, yeah. Scotland, Cardiff, the Waratahs, every single Canterbury <laughs> team for about the next three or four years had that exact same template with that annoying, like, non-even collar. And I just grew to, and also that weird sort of, like, hump that made them look like they had boobs. <laughs> the sort of weird grip pad, as they were calling it, yeah, which it was had like no off. effect. They called it controversial, is what they did. Ooh. They did. It was like an innovation, so they were going to make it stand out. And all it did was just make all of the kits have like little knot patches of the colour of the kit all over the front of it. Looked dreadful. Josh, I, I want to know, as uh, as our local kind of um, rugby kit expert, your opinion on long sleeved rugby shirts. Well, this this was this the final World Cup before long sleeved jerseys, like basically were ended in favour of players just wearing like compression sleeves. Indeed, it least. was. Yes. 
Yeah, it's, it looks weird. It's because we're in this sort of like transition period where the jerseys are skin tight and yet some players are still wearing long sleeve jerseys and it just looks fucking weird. And there's a lot of them in the South Africa team, actually, like Ryan yeah, Abana wears Smith, one. When did John... the three-quarter sleeve say goodbye? My club shirts always had three-quarter sleeves. Mm. I think like, that when jerseys started getting tighter, that's when they realised, like, well, we definitely don't want the three-quarter sleeves. Mid-forearm. No. Stop it at yeah. the mid-forearm. Another thing that's Clive Woodward's fault. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> All of this being taken up by him making jerseys being tighter. Yeah. So to go back to Will's question, though, it's you've got to remember, you may have done this on a previous part, I do apologise, but obviously mm. we'd won the World Cup in 2003. Woodward had surveyed what was ahead of him and thought, I'm not being blamed for this. <laughs> and, and left. Yeah, we had, the, we had the Andy Robinson period, and then which was awful, <laughs> and then the, there was an enormous clamour for Brian Ashton to take over the job, mainly because he'd been attack coach in two thousand and one when England scored twenty six tries in the Six Nations and were probably one of the best attacking teams on the planet. You know, not mm. even being ironic, they were, and it, and it was all put down to Ashton, and he was he had this rugby Yoda kind of nickname type thing, and it, and ever was. He was coaching at, have you done all this before? I'll repeat myself. A bit, but no, please. A bit, but yeah, you're much more excited than we are. coaching at Bath, and he basically did an interview with a Guardian, where, I think it was a Guardian or the Times, where he basically just dropped in the middle of it, yeah, I still feel like I've got unfinished business at international level, as Andy Robinson was being sacked, <laughs> and he was still working for Bath. Mm. So that was like, oh, oh, he wants to play. So then there was this enormous, like, like as always with England, like, bit with the, like with Eddie Jones, this huge clamour to try and get mm. somebody shouldn't really have. And then they got mm. him. And so there was a genuine excitement about him coming in because of the 2001 thing. He was seen as this massive innovator, a heads-up rugby coach, all that stuff. He's from near Lee in Lancashire, so I liked him straight away. <laughs> and, he, um, and then very soon it all kind of dissolved into Vinacolo and only winning three games in a Six Nations in 2007 and losing to Wales so that Wales weren't wooden spooned in the Six Nations. And then, so no, so... so Scotland co- got the wooden spoon that year. What, mm. a, what a what a hateful Six Nations to have. <laughs> yeah. Just really awful. So coming into it, there was no... I think watching it back again, I didn't have a great amount of hope at the time. Watching mm. it back again, you think, who the fuck would have done? Were they all insane? Because just the teams were going to get onto it, but just, just a very quick cursory glance at what was about to walk mm. on the field was, was enough <laughs> to make you go... I went back and found an article from The Guardian back from around the time the World Cup started. The heading was, in 2003, they were known as Dad's Army. This lot is even older. And the, my favorite... the age of this squad is astonishing, yeah. by the way. My cat is 40 years old. Lalio <laughs> Shaw and Mark Regan are 39. He plays Martin like he's Curry. not a day over 51 in this game. <laughs> yeah, like, I was going to say, my, my say... cat has nine lives. Yeah, oh, he got seven of them. Joe Loma took eight of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people, can take, like, people are taking the piss out of Gatlin picking a team of pensioners this weekend, right, for the Six Nations, because two of the players are over 35. This squad was genuinely like Cocoon meets the Golden Girls. <laughs> there, were, there were only seven members of this squad who were under 30, and two of them were like late Jesus. injury call-ups. Like, it's remarkable. Jason Robinson and Andy Gummersall, 37. Like, it goes on. <laughs> it, it, it defies all sense. Like, So the Guardian named the players that they thought, the seven younger players that they thought could have made the England squad and were controversially left out. 
I will give you all a go at naming, see if you can how many of the seven you can get. They controversially left out younger players. Oh. Shane Garrity. Shane Garrity is not one, but a good oh. shout. It's of that caliber. It's, uh, um... Is this just too early for Danny Care? If Dan- he was like 18 no, not or Danny Care, yeah. Harry yeah. Ellis. Danny not Harry Ellis. Danny Cipriani. Danny Cipriani's one. Matthew Tate comes into it, doesn't he? Yeah, Matthew Tate comes off the bench in this game. Toby Flood. Toby Flood. Great Toby shout. Flood left out. Haskell. Has- James Haskell is the one they're really angry about at the Guardian. Who, they who are was really annoyed Haskell hasn't made it. Not long after this. Who became their 12? Hipkiss. Ricky Flutie. Jamie Noon. Ricky Flutie was just before this, wasn't he? Yeah, they're... Jamie all... there, isn't he? Tyndall? No, Tyndall. Tyndall and Noon Tindall, are both still Tindall there in 2008. They mentioned Tyndall as well as also being left out. Wow. As well as the other youngsters that could have injected something to England. Nick Abendanen, who they're fuming about. He's the big oh, headline he comes story. Into the, he, he comes into the squad later on, doesn't right, he? Okay. he doesn't actually play. Yeah, did he comes ben, in. Did he go to, didn't he go to Claremont? And like yeah, yeah. Whatever, yeah, yeah a few another, years after it, this. It was another oh. example of how England are shit at talent, basically. Yeah, he was good he, at Bath for ages, and then he went to Claremont, and then all of a sudden people notice. The other week... Tom in... Palmer. Tom Palmer, great shout. <laughs> oh, yes. Tom Palmer is there one of them. Is. The other week in the Claremont, I think Sharks game, whoever it was they were playing, the commentator said, oh, that Claremont 15 jersey, you just have to look at the names down the years they've worn it. Lee Byrne, Nick Abendon and Scott Spedding, you get the sheer idea of quality that they have there. (laughs) I don't think I do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) The other name you've missed, two, two other names that have not come up, are Kevin Yates, who... Jesus Christ. Who's Kevin Yates? He was a prop for... He was bald. You can't have been that young. <laughs> he, I, he was born in he was born in 1972. He's only a year younger than Mike Cat. <laughs> Controversially left out youngster. And Charlie Hodgson. Oh, uh, yes. I nearly yes. said Hodgson. Fuck's sake. I mean, <sighs> the fact that people thought there was ever a period where Charlie Hodgson was the answer <laughs> kind of says everything. <laughs> I've forgotten his name already. Kevin Yates, was it? Kevin, Kevin Yates. Yates. The pop, I'm the sure prop. he was a prop, but he was definitely bald. Yeah. <laughs> he most recently played for Nice in Fazerala. Oh, wow. You've obviously got him there, Josh. I've Is got his Wikipedia. Prop? Yeah, he's a prop. He's born in Canada, but played, uh, made four wow. caps for England. You oh, see, nowadays he would have requalified. Yeah, he would have. gone to Canada. This, mm. this age problem goes a long way to explain Sean Perry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Because... <laughs> Because by this point, Dawson's 37, I think. Yeah, I'm more interested in Christian sports. And I think, as you mentioned, Gomesol's in his mid-30s by this point. The next one off the ranks, Harry Ellis, who I think was injured because he did play in the Six Nations. Yeah, Harry Ellis played in that England in the Wales game that they won in the Six Nations. I I think he was injured or too young, and that's why you've got Sean Perry and Peter Richards and all this lot involved somehow. (laughs) It's real bad, man. Like, it's... I mean, you look at it and you just think, hang on, Delalio's still fucking you know, going here. You know, people are, you know, like in the X Factor where you have to have like a journey, mm. it doesn't matter how you sing. That that was Sean Perry. Sean <laughs> Perry is 90% journey, 10% yeah. delivery, basically. People were obsessed, and I know you'll have covered it already, but he was obsessed. People were obsessed with the journey. Yeah, no, I didn't know. Yeah, it was all, all, he used Sean to, Perry. It was all was about I... the fact that he used to be a, you know, Whatever it was, a plumber or a pipe. He was a welder. Welder, yeah. there it is. <laughs> it's the, the Lloyd Burns thing, where Lloyd Burns was a bricklayer 18 months ago, his entire career. 
Like he had like a five year international Still career. to this day. Still yeah. to this day. Is there such thing as a council estate pass? <laughs> no. If the, it, well, regardless, if there's not, then that's definitely what Sean Perry has. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, he's real bad. Look. You know, I was fucking fuming at the time after this game, and now I just want to give him a big hug. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I've got older, I don't know, but I just now I just want to go, oh mate, come in here, come on. I was in come Worcester in. a few years ago, and I was in a pub doing some work. Is this and a I overhauled... Not quite. <laughs> I overheard two old men sat in a sat at the table next to me, and all they did for about half an hour was moan about how shit Sean Perry was for Worcester Warriors. Now <laughs> <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is what you call a legacy. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> or an infection. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's lots of you... players we've been angry about, and then we've forgotten. You know, mm. I was angry at Martin Roberts for a while, but I've completely forgotten about him playing for the Ospreys. I've forgotten but, he existed. Yeah. I've certainly forgot about him playing for Wales. I remember that one high tackle Dan Carter did on him. That everyone yeah, that was his about. whole Wales career. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Sean Perry, he was memorable enough that people were angry about it 10 years later. Because of the journey. Yeah. You don't remember people. The people remember stories no. on the journey. If he just got right. a couple of shit caps and he was like a lifelong player, but it was the, it's the journey that people remember, man. It's, it's, and that's why he's, he's, he was moderately successful. I'm assuming that's true of people like Lewis Capaldi. It's the only explanation yeah. I've got as to why they do so well. It, there must be a journey there that I'm not aware of. Well, Sean Perry's not funny or Scottish, so that wasn't his um, uh, journey to no, the top. Well, you, to be fair, at this period, he'd have probably under a 40 caps for Scotland. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this, is prime, che- well, hey, this is prime Czechai timeline for Wales as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, that it is. Strange old time. Presumably Are we prime about to cover Scotland Custer. <laughs> no, this was Chris Czechai's horrible injury and being a big loss oh, for yeah. Wales, being oh, ruled out of the World was, Cup. Yeah, when his leg went backwards. Yeah. 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 That's horrible. Uh, yeah, awful. But in England's defence, right, and England and defence are not words that we'll say very often <laughs> on this episode, but in England's defence, there's a point where they interview Brian Ashton before this game, and he says, yeah, oh. yeah, we're preparing quite well. We've gone 48 hours without an injury now. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Ashton in that interview has the energy of the kindly elderly PE teacher who's been at the school years <laughs> and won't tell the others or report you if you forget your PE Kit. He'll just quietly He's, bring you to the lost you know, property that's box. Exactly and who let he was, right? <laughs> yeah. He was literally a teacher in a grammar school. Oh wow. <laughs> as well as playing scrum half for Tilsley RUFC, again nearly in Lancashire. <laughs> nearly got off a couple of England caps and was just a teacher for years. And then just mm. quite I, I think he just accidentally ambled onto a pitch one day and somehow taught somebody to do a scissor. <laughs> why why don't you run like kid. that? Yeah. <laughs> It's, but I'll that... tell you what, though, the, the, the pre-match and the broadcast of this game, like mm. the pre-match interview that he does, even by the sta- like the stand the standard of boring <laughs> rugby coach pre-match interviews, fuck oh. me, he's boring. Yeah. Like, there's just absolutely, there's not a hint of anything interesting coming out of his mouth at this point. It's just deflect, 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 talk nonsense. It's he... full, like... You can understand if he's got a great rugby brain, but you're not playing for that guy. You're not inspired by that <laughs> exactly, guy when he yeah. gives you a half-time team talk Ooh. when you're twenty nil behind. And when they kept panning, as this game went on and on, and with all its agonies, 
Mm. As he kept panning to the bench, and he was just sat there looking stone faced and clueless. Ford, Mike Ford just looked like he he wished somebody would tell him he didn't have to be there anymore. <laughs> and John Wells, his hair is just is so inexplicable. I couldn't think of anything else. It's <laughs> kind of sort of like when Laurel and Hardy, when Oliver Hardy would get his hair wet and it gets slapped down on his forehead. <laughs> That's what John Wells' hair looked like. And he was just he was the bane of my life at this time, John Wells, mainly because. As was played out during the game, two years up to this and throughout this entire time, England's complete inability to get any kind of rook speed mm. before you get to everything else was just so horrific. And he was just sat there as this untouchable forwards coach that nobody ever spoke about. And it was a re- it was absolutely awful. Although in his defence, watching the game, because you forget what it's like, Watching the game back then, how did anybody mm. get fastball out of those rocks? Oh my god! Oh, no. Let's be honest, right? You've got to make it to full time somehow if you're England. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rocks, like, man. Honestly, they just don't. Speak. They're incredible, aren't they? Like every single rock has at least two or three players sealing off, and then mm. like a bunch of players just sort of standing around with their hands on the side of the ruck just getting in the way. It's genuinely a miracle that anybody turned the ball over in a, at any point in rugby at this stage. But England do demonstrate that it's very possible to turn the ball over a lot in this game. It took 61 minutes for Joel Juge to give a diving on the ball penalty. Really? Wow. <laughs> 61 minutes he threw his hand up and what's he giving this for? Fuck me, he's giving it for... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's remarkable that England's breakdown didn't go better when they had in at seven in that team the one, the only Mr. Tom Reese. The, an- the answer oh, to no, all of England's all mist- I was getting all misty eyed just remembering. <laughs> this oh, is like. Oh, God, how we yearned for that young man to be good. Lee, were you oh. on the hype train that I've learned this- existed? Yeah, oh, this was like. I Because I'm. I think older everyone than Will, was on the hype I remember, train. Yeah. yeah. The- Really massive Tom Reese hype train, and Will had no memory of it. I had no, no, I had no memory Previously, of it. I just remember him existing, which I think I, he did. You have to remember that the greatest problem in the eyes of every England fan from 2003 onwards was replacing Neil Back and replacing Will Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. were obsessed by it. A proper fetching seven and a really good creative, but also quite big and defensively organised centre. I'm just, just looking won. at my team sheet at the seven and thirteen positions now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Um, well, exactly. It is. It's a really strange one. So, like France had Yannick Josie on. We were like, "Oh, look at that bastard! Why haven't we got him?" Sort of thing. <laughs> and then we yeah, had Tom. There was so much national hope pinned on Tom Reese. You know, as if a seven could operate in isolation. Yeah. competently to the absolute shower of shit that was spraying all around him. But uh, he yeah. basically had a sort of Maroitoje-esque kind of rise, hadn't he? Because he'd like captained England mm. at every single level up to under 20s or under yeah. 21s, I guess it was in those days. He's very he's, posh as well. That always goes Yeah, out. extremely yeah, posh. Yeah. He broke into that Wasps team that was like beating everybody and basically just like instantly became their open side flanker. And so it was just like... Up until like I don't know, maybe two thousand and five ish. It was like this guy's going to captain England in a, in two years' time, and then he started getting injured, and then yeah. it just he was done by ev- twenty six, wasn't he, or something like that? Yeah, he retired in two thousand twelve, according to Wikipedia. And the been... irony was, of course, that he was a doctor as well, so he knew just how fucked his body was. <laughs> the Halimamos <laughs> effect. Yeah, indeed. He'd been man of the match in the Heineken Cup final early that year, which. Wasp had won in a bit lesser in the final with Warren Gatland as the coach, of course. 
And yeah, and I think this was kind of probably the peak of the the Tom Reese hype train before it all became injuries the year after. Yeah, because he loses his place during this World Cup, doesn't he? Lewis mm. Moody comes in and, and basically owns the England number seven shirt despite having absolutely no qualities of a number seven for the <laughs> really, next really four or five good at years. chasing kickoffs though. Really good at gotta give really it good at chasing kickoffs. There's a bit on his Wikipedia page where it states Reese repeatedly put in standout performances against the best open side in world rugby, Richie McCaw. If Reese's career had not been cut short, he would have exhibited the potential to make the number seven shirt his own for a very long time. There is no doubt the England management would have been compelled to recognise Tom's natural ability as a playmaker and leader, enhanced by the na- enhancing the national team's strength and solving the number seven debate. Think, Clarification was needed. that written by his mum? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, one of his best mates has Doubtless. definitely written yes. that. No, no citation or no source. No doubt he was absolutely as good as Richie McCaw's citation <laughs> he did. None of that going up there. He was um, a really good player when he yeah, was fit. He was, to be honest. The hype was too much because it always was. It always mm. is, even now when something looks half decent, doesn't it? But mm. um, it was a terrible shame. And I'm trying to remember. I, I, I thought he did okay in this game first time. He, right? he plays. He plays okay in this. And game. then I watched it again. I thought, I hope he's not horrible. But he did okay. I didn't. I don't really know why he was replaced. Mm. Given, uh, in I think game. he got. I think he might have got. A sort of niggly injury, right. Kel Surprise. And then so Moody comes in for the next two games and then he basically just doesn't get the shirt back. Brian Ashton resets the clock of when we've last had an injury. Yeah. <laughs> back to zero. Like he might not have been the answer, but he certainly wasn't a problem in this England team. Because tell you what, it is full of them. But the type five <laughs> again is so like problems. type five is solid. That is fine. That yeah. type five is fine. Well, Once you get despite, beyond despite that, the fact that they're yeah. seven hundred years old, it's yeah, fine. yeah. The thing that I love, right, when when we're doing like all pre-match stuff, there's so rarely been a game that I've not watched before where I'm so clear on what the result is because the thirty-six nil England South Africa game is just what it's known as, rather than like all oh, yeah, the other pool game. Mm. But the fact that before this game the commentators and pundits were at all entertaining the prospect that England could win this, I found hilarious. And so, like, they, they flash up, like, they're saying, like, oh, it's a massive pool encounter, England, South Africa. And they flash up the Springboks game, you go, fuck me, that's incredible. You've got, like, you know, Florida Prey, you've got Brian Habana, you've got that front front five in them, you've got Victor Matfield, like, the lot. It's like, oh, my God, yeah. Then you look at this England team. So you have the locks. I mean, Simon Shaw and Ben Kay with a combined age of 99. Not quite, but you did question if I meant that for a moment. Martin Corrie, quite close. captain. You've got Nick Easter, fresh off his hat-trick against Wales, of course, brought into the team. But it's the back line where I think <laughs> things really stand out. I think that's the real, the half-backs, where things really sing. And it's bizarre that you look at this team and go, oh, that's an improvement on Ollie Barkley at 10 in the last game. <laughs> I don't think there is anybody more qualified in the world to talk through this backline than Mr. Lee Calvert over here. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, Barkley and Wilkinson were both injured, weren't they? So they were, yeah. They were, mm. Everything was a bit snookered for 10. So Cat goes in at 10. I've already covered Sean Perry. Cat mm. was fairly consistent throughout this year, despite being, you know... He was all right. So I was to stop to take his water tablets every half an hour or so. <laughs> so yeah. But he was, mainly, he was mainly played 12, didn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which he probably would have done had he not been. So the bat, mm. so the bat line uh, is um, <laughs> the midfield. Andy Farrell plays twelve, and with his sideshow Bob haircut. His sideshow Bob, and outside him is the beautiful combination of a lump of wood with an even bigger lump of wood. <laughs> in the game. 
have have you done the origin story of Farrell and Rugby Union on previous? No, 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 no. So it's probably worth again pointing out how we got here. Okay, <laughs> which is how that was this allowed to happen? <laughs> Andy Robinson, when flailing about trying to make a team that made sense and won, didn't do it very well. Came up with this sort of strangely nebulous notion of a lack of leadership at the highest level. Mm. So cast his it cast his net far and wide and went, who can I buy in who's a like a leadership lead, ready made leader on a stick like a consultant or something? <laughs> oh, I know. How about the lad who started playing for Wigan when he was sixteen, captain his country at twenty one, and he's still probably just about young enough for me to do something with him, Andy Farrell. Mm. Andy Farrell is, without question, and I, I will not take any argument on this, one of the greatest rugby players that this island has ever produced. Genuinely mm. a ridiculously physically and mentally talented rugby player. He played in rugby league, he played second row when he was younger, then he played loose forward, which is sort of like a hybrid in rugby league. They don't watch He's a bit like a hybrid between a halfback and an hard bastard, basically. Deceptively quick for his size, massive, could pass off both hands. However, his body was held together by pins by the time he got to this age. And he'd actually started playing prop for Wigan Mm. at this point in 2000 and whatever it was, five before he came over. And a prop in rugby league, for your listeners who aren't that familiar, his job is Mm. to play 20 minutes and run the ball ball up as hard as you fucking can, basically. That's (laughs) his job. And you don't have to be necessarily that quick. He did have pace when he was younger, Farrell. You may have noticed he doesn't have any. (laughs) So he got brought in as this nebulous idea of leadership. Saracen signed him up, no doubt, with some very nice, you know, business offshoot. And the minute he arrived, they, they paid, God knows how much they paid for him. Mm. The minute he arrived in rugby union... There was also a presumably a blood price that, like, you know, we get his kids as well. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. yeah. The minute he arrived in rugby union, the debate started whether or not he should play in the back row or in the centre. You may this have heard this one before. Where <laughs> this one since? Spending an absolute fortune on somebody from rugby league and they don't even know whether... Not even, not even what position you wanted to play, whether you wanted to be a forward or a back. I mean, that is quite the fucking thing, isn't it? <laughs> really um, is. So he, he ended up playing like blindside for Saracens because he is a hard bastard. But then there was a lot of point in being at the bottom of a rook when he can pass off both hands and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so by this point, so it was almost like he wasn't allowed to not be picked for England at this point because he had to be. And then Ashton mm. had come from, and Ashton comes to the northwest, so it's almost like he had to be in. So and uh, to give him his to give Far a little bit of defence, he played incredibly well when England battered Scotland in the Six Nations mm. at twelve. He played incredibly well, but in an armchair, really, if I'm honest. Yeah. So then he ended up being the only guy that was available for twelve at this point with all the injuries, and then outside him was Noon. So you had effectively the kind of ghost of this incredibly talented player with zero pace and less experience in this inside a bloke who looks like a sort of poorly drawn triangle on some training stabilizers. <laughs> and then outside that, you got Paul Saki, who was inexplicable at the time and remains completely inexplicable. <laughs> and then you outside that, you got Josh Luzi, who just looks like he has, he has the, the face of an over-promoted cunt in the workplace. <laughs> <laughs> he really does, oh, though. And a quick look at his Wikipedia again, tell his post-playing career, tells you that's exactly what's happened. Remember you know, when Josh Lucy was in, in like, charge of the WRU? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. But like, I forgot about that. great <laughs> three weeks that was. <laughs> Left that, joined a bloody water company as a management consultant. Worked in Citigroup's global marketing as an equity sale trader. Like a year after le- retiring. He's just constantly just been overpromoted. I can't vouch for the cunt bit, but I wouldn't bet against it. He he somehow ended up as interim CEO at Cornish Pirates at one point and then turned that into being appointed head of rugby at the WRU, which is effectively what Nigel Walker's job currently, well, was until this last week. You say that like it's a step down, (laughs) like the WRU have standards. (laughs) Yeah. It's, he it's... joined Ernst & Young as People's Advisory Services Leader in Asia-Pacific. That sounds about right. However, he struggled to find the new business at EY and moved multiple teams, eventually leaving in 2021, where he established Tenure Value Plus as CEO. What is just... Tenure Value Plus? Let's find out. <laughs> well, he also it's enjoys... It's a bloody fucking wealth management company, isn't of it? Of course it is. I think you can yeah. now vouch for the cunt bit. <laughs> yeah what it's... for grammar school for boys oh, do you shut think, up do you think that like when they, when when brian ashton went for andy farrell he should have just gone for kevin sinfield instead <laughs> five years younger and has all of the qualities <laughs> i know he wasn't a big bloke but he i, I mean oh i don't want to go too fucking... for me but he, if they'd have gone for something Genuinely, if they've got somebody, somebody like Leon Price, who was playing mm. for Bradford at the time, he was a 13 and was just stonkingly good. Mm. Somebody like that would have worked if you're going to go down that road. But it was, a, but they didn't. They went, they went for the big name and the reputation, really. And mm. having said all that, I don't think he was that awful, at least with the ball here. But the, tr- the, the problem, yeah. disagree with me, which is you wanted to get into it. But what you had was my aforementioned problem with zero fastball whatsoever. Yeah, thrown by. Sean Perry's council estate passed to a 57-year-old outside half who was stood, I don't think I'm exaggerating here, 300 yards behind <laughs> the attacking, behind the game line. Was it, and, and, it's and then, so bad how far off he, like, and I know that, like, we are, you know, witnessing a style of rugby that will give birth to the ELVs in a couple of years. It's remarkable. They're like... Especially given that Cat was supposed to be, you know, in his youth, like an attacking guy. And That's the thing, like... though. Like, it's very clear that Mike Cat only sticks his hands up when the ten catches the ball, and now he's been moved in one channel. He yeah. forgets that he is the ten, and he's meant to be the one catching the ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike Cat catches the ball on his chest, which for an international player, not even putting his hands up to set a target when the pass is coming. <laughs> One time he I, catches the ball. That is, yeah. I've been doing this. I've been doing this since 1995. They know what to aim at by now. <laughs> the, the quote with Cat was that he came in. He was pushed into ten and came in so he could play what was in front of him. But of course, what was in front of him was a terrifying green wall, <laughs> or, or the uh, or the slowest ball in Christendom. So I'm not defending him. He was still terrible, but there wasn't a huge amount that he could he, he could do. And at the back of all this, of course, we'll get onto this, is Jason Robinson, who, God love him. God bless him. God, honest to God, if there's it's anybody who tries harder to inject something resembling class into an absolute puddle of crap, it's him. God love him. It's it's genuinely a harrowing game for Jason Robinson <laughs> because, like, obviously he's past his prime at this point, but he, he's still trying his balls off. And, like, whenever he gets the ball, you can still see, like, he has magic in them and mm. can do wonderful things. 
but like he spends most of the game just basically knocking on horrible hanging kicks from Fury Dupree, just battering him with for the whole game until he goes off injured. And it's just real sad. Because you think jumps. in that moment, you think his career's over because he's retiring after that World Cup and it looks like he's torn his hammy, but he somehow manages to come back for the final. He, he under jumps every kick. Have you noticed that, yeah. Matt Robinson? Which is for mm. a short man, it's is always a real behind bad idea. him because he's trying yeah. to catch it while he goes up in the air. And at one point, one literally bounces off his face <laughs> as he's trying to, which is a, a wonderful moment. But the fact he catches about 80. Five percent of them is yeah, yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. yeah, I felt for him so so hard. I want to also add: Did we all enjoy the the various joys that came of Andy Farrell on ref mic? No, <laughs> the amount of times I... you could just hear on the the ref mic a Extreme Wigan accent, Wigan. which yeah. we have learned is Andy Farrell. You know, having heard him, it's, his it's nobody career, else in just... that England backline at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, amount of times, the amount of times say. you could just hear a voice saying, "Get on your fucking feet." Come on, work hard, work hard, you fucking idiot. The amount of times you can hear that on the ref mic. That's him parenting Owen from miles away. <laughs> See, that's what they paid a million quid for. That kind of leadership is what was missing. <laughs> but that's it, though. There's a, point, there's a point where there's twice in the same passage of play, like in consecutive phases, you can hear him shouting at somebody, get up, come on, get up. <laughs> And the real and then, and then you know Simon Shaw or Mark Regan turns to him and is like I'm 39 years old. Andy. My knees have got nothing hit. left. I can't get up. <laughs> Did we all enjoy? Because obviously we're not watching the original British broadcast. We're watching mm. whatever's on YouTube, which was the Aussie Network 10 one, I guess. Yeah. Which had mid-game adverts. Yes. Right. Which I found the most baffling thing. Imagine, so like all of a sudden, you know, Baki's Borta goes down injured and some treatment comes on and then all of a sudden there's an advert for, you know, buying a plasma TV. <laughs> That's the thing your TV is again. Yeah. So it's, it's the fact that, yeah, as you say, Baki's Borta goes down injured and the colour commentator starts explaining something about, oh yeah, that was a really good scrum there by South Africa. And, oh wait, no, hang on, back in a second. Like somebody's yeah. just come up behind him with a knife and said, Air that fucking Bundaberg advert right now. <laughs> but then it cuts back and they're like midway through a scrum. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I guess that's why we don't have adverts in the middle of a rugby game. If you want to see a second row's leg snapped in beautiful crystal clear vision, then buy yourself. <laughs> buy yourself a plasma TV from Harvey Norman. They they say that plasma TV, we've got a deal on them. You've got like 20% off. This offer is only open to World Cup viewers. How are they going to check? Over the phone, they're going to say, Sean Perry had a good game, didn't he? And if you don't deny it, they'll say, no, sorry, you're not eligible. Uh, I really enjoyed also the Australian anchor for this in the pre-match. Basically, like has a sort of visceral reaction to the concept of Eddie Jones getting any credit for South Africa's like improvement to to, to such a such a level where I genuinely wondered if he was in some way Clive Woodward. (laughs) So, so much does he hate Eddie Jones. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, obviously South Africa just suddenly started scoring tries for fun as soon as Eddie Jones came up, but it's too, it's too soon for that to have, for him to have had any material impact on that at all. It couldn't have possibly been him. It's like, Oh, 30% 30% better, mate. 30% better. <laughs> There's a shot before the game of Eddie Jones and Jake White chatting on the, the sideline. And Jake White looks 
completely clueless like he doesn't understand what he's saying and he jones then starts visibly speaking slower and doing hand gestures to explain what he's talking about and so he's like no so so we want to run in a straight line and then he passes to someone behind him explain it to me like i'm four okay explain it to me like i'm two So, so we these these two really fast men, right? Standing on either side of the pitch, we just get the ball to them as soon as possible, get the and what then they to just them. run Sorry? very fast. Get that, get the what? It's a ball, you know, the oval thing. Oh, mm, maybe like a round thing. No, 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 Jake. That's 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 soccer. So we're trying but, um... to bowl them out. Is that correct? <laughs> no wonder he had all those interviews and never got the job. He's just a terrible <laughs> interviewer. He's just like I don't really understand rugby union. <laughs> He'll listen to the questions, though. He'll try and take it in. We also had great things from that period. It was clearly the era where you'd hear the stereophonics outside Wales. Yeah, that's playing it in me. Stadium. I genuinely yeah. had to check that I hadn't opened the wrong game. <laughs> also, in that Network 10 broadcast, they have, like, when it kicks off, the, the sort of starters, there's some weird-ass jazz at the start. <laughs> and and then there is, like, what's basically a rights-free knockoff of... Carnival de Paris, which is like the France '98 World Cup song, the da, 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 that one. Everybody knows mm. it, and it's like that, but slightly different. As if somebody at Network Ten has just gone World Cup, France. Oh, we'll just use that thing that we used in 1998. It's fine. We won't pay any royalties though. We'll make it slightly different. World Cup anthem dot MP3. <laughs> they just dragged and dropped it in. France. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as what? terrible as the England side was. <laughs> Genuinely. On the flip side. Yes. Oh, mate. It's, as I say, like, you, you, that comes up and you, you automatically go like, oh, we're in for a good test match here. Then you remember which game you've opened, you know, <laughs> um, and realise that, oh, no, no, that can be that can be one-sided. And believe me, it was. Like, the fact that we were watching... Paul Saki's opposite number being Brian Habana speaks for itself. Yeah. There's a moment in towards the end of the first half where England have started to drop out of it. Springboks are in control, but they kick, they have a kick that goes reasonably loosely, and England are coming forward onto the ball and they have a chance to counterattack. Except as the crowd cheers this on, you realize it's Paul Saki. <laughs> and obviously he <laughs> runs about four meters before falling over. He has, like, he, has, he has one where he runs straight, then he kind of turns at right angle. And then runs across the tackle line, and then turns left, and immediately just gets battered by two people. It was, it's, it was one. There was no pace of what he's doing anyway. And then you were like, "What is it you're trying to actually do?" And I don't want to get into it too much, but his, his attempt to tackle Peterson for that first. Oh, honestly, <laughs> the, everything about that first try is so inexcusable <laughs> defensively. Like all of it is real. Like we might as well talk about it. We might yeah. as well. Like, yeah, I mean, just say, it, it all went very well for England for about two minutes. It looked like <laughs> a test match for about two minutes, literally. I mean, there was the point where Jason Robinson ran away from the ball, but that's yeah, sure. the mad thing. That's like because I looked at those teams, right? And I went through them and I kind of had the Dawson, his thing from the last World Cup when he was saying, I take every member of this England team over that South African team. And you're looking at this and it's the other way around. He said, Maybe you might take Jason Robinson, yeah, aged 40 over Percy Montgomery. But otherwise, it's across the board, you know. It's well, that's only because Percy Montgomery's just that much of a cunt. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I just leave him in Newport. It's where he belongs. Yeah. Um, Butch James, Freud Priya, John Smith, Victor Matfield and Baggy's Borta. John Smith, like ridiculous level of quality throughout that team. And you think, but England do have Jason Robinson. And then South Africa put their first long kick in. And Jason Robinson does this completely ridiculous thing <laughs> where he runs away from the ball as it bounces and does a Turns full loop. back to it. Yeah. As though he's like, as though he's playing duck, duck, goose. And he's got to go round the circle first before he can recover the ball. It was like when I got to let my dog out and he keeps turning circles by the back door before you open it for no, yeah. no, no reason. You don't understand why he's doing it. He takes the long run around to enjoy the walk while he's there. Yeah. He's got to get his steps in as he's recovering the ball. But I think the, two, the it important... was okay for two minutes until the first scrub, at which point I went, oh, shit. <laughs> The important detail of this, though, is that that opening try starts off with a Mark Regan business decision, where Which... he just sees, he sees JP beating in front of him and goes, oh, no, I missed the tackle. Oh, no. <laughs> but realistically, right, he gets up from the original mall, goes, I'm not pushing it in that, sees JP Peterson and goes, fuck that. <laughs> I'm getting it's so, drawn in. It's so easy, because it's just like literally the first time that, like, Fury just goes, oh, why don't I just pass right instead of passing left? And it flummoxes the entire English defence. And mean, as you say, Mark Regan just can't be asked at this point. I mean, Again, getting... he's 40 years old. He's yeah. just... And they've played a whole two minutes at this point. Yeah. That's like 120 <laughs> seconds. I mean, getting done off a shit front line-out move 60 metres from your own line. <laughs> two After minutes what, into the game. Three minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. It's and all funny. JP Peterson did was was slightly arc his run, and Paul Saki yeah. fell down inside him and threw his left <laughs> arm at him as he ran past him. God, honest to God, there's some there's some amazing examples of just like what are you doing stuff, like when Jacques Ferry nearly scores but just knocks on for some reason. Well, yeah. it's just so much easier. I know score. why he knocks on. It's the it's the seismic ripple effect from his arse hitting the floor that rippled <laughs> through his entire spine and threw the ball out of his hand. Because I've never seen, apart from maybe Dave Ewers, I've never seen a more bootylicious player than, uh, than Jack Ferry. It's incredible. Well, maybe that's why when Joss Lucy attempts to tackle him and actually does do a successful job of bringing him down, but then all he needs to do to stop him from is just hang on. And instead he sort of like starts, like does some weird like break dancing move and then full on kicks him directly in the knee. And it's like the <laughs> TMO in it. It's like, do you not miss the part where he actually just hoofed someone on the ground? <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Ah, uh, it's very much setting up his future career there in a metaphor, in a visual <laughs> metaphor. Indeed. Can Shout I just out throw... for Andy Farrell's bullet time scramble defence, by the mm. way. Yes. Except <laughs> it wasn't in bullet time, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, like Paul Sackey versus JP Peterson competing for kicks in this game is eerily similar to Anthony Watson versus Oliver Pimpy in 2019. Like, Everything about it's like Dupree just puts it up, and then it's like every time it goes anywhere near Paul Saki, you just think, Oh, well, this is going to end extremely badly. Yeah, and it does, and it does. Best case scenario is the Springbok recovers the ball because worst case scenario is the English player <laughs> knocks Saki it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, or Paul Saki ends up with it. But the word from that first try. Fory mm. Dupree's vision in throwing the final pass because he runs a support line yes. on man. This whole game, I just kept going. Fory Dupree is fucking class, mind. Yeah. Like, unbelievably like, good. 
like properly ridiculously good and yeah he starts it off with that with the pass like he does a kind of dummy kick puts peterson into this (laughs) the regan assisted space (laughs) and then when he takes the offload itself he then looks up and he has two players closer, but instead he floats it for the guy miles behind. He won't have to clear a run for the try line. Like it's unbelievable vision and execution. It's amazing. I played on long enough that we like he basically became stationary and like a sort of fi- like a field like field. Artillery. And he was still class. <laughs> yeah, and he was still class, but he was like he kicked, he passed, he do nothing else. Yeah. Whereas you like at this point, he is rapid. Mm. And his support lines are incredible. Yeah, and it's like, and and he also can, is the probably the finest tactical scrum half and kicking scrum half of the modern era. He's yeah. unbelievable. I don't think there's been. I struggle to think that there's been a better scrum half performance across an entire tournament ever. Mm. Mm. Just the, the, the entirety of this tournament. He wasn't just like. I mean, he was player of the tournament in, in his position, but he was just kind of peerless in everything. It, yeah, he was, he was. He was. It was ridiculous. I mean, the what... difference between him and like Perry and Gummersel, <laughs> so stark, so stark. I mean, even there Ricky Tanner comes on and makes it he look just quite turned good. Up and played. Yeah. No. There's a cheer from the crowd as Andy Gummersel comes on, and you're like, "What are you expecting him to change? You've witnessed a genuine masterclass on the other side." Like Foy Dupree is so good in this game that if you dropped him into the English team, who were shit instead of Sean Perry, they might win. Yeah, it's like all. I mean, ultimately, like I don't. I genuinely don't think the box play as well as they could have in no, this game. Yeah. No, 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 like, far from it. How they only score three tries is baffling because they were so dominant. And like, you feel like, yeah, you could have just slotted Dupree into that England team that also had, you know, a decent forward pack, and he'd probably find a way to win that game. You know why they yeah. only scored three tries? Because, because they were attempting and 700 drop and goals. Continued yeah. drop goals. I, I was going to say, that's such a big part of you saying that the Springboks are so far off their potential in this game. Because it pretty much always went like this. England have the ball and they're probably in their own 22 and going, well, we've got a really dangerous back line. So why don't we just run the ball and see what can possibly do? We'll give it to Saki. We'll give it to Noon. We'll give it to all of these threatening three quarters we've got in the back line and hope that Andy Farrell could maybe find a bit of space and sprint the distance with all that speed that he has. <laughs> and then um, they'll eventually, you know, they might make a little break and they've made it up to their own five metre line. And then they're not on the dead ball line anymore. And they're like, OK, OK, well, we've made a little bit of headway, but there's still another 95 to go. So I think actually, lads, what would Johnny do? He'd probably kick it downfield and they'd kick it downfield. And Percy Montgomery would catch the ball and go, great, just what I wanted, and attempt a drop kick. And that would happen every (laughs) single time without fail. Yeah, or they'd occasionally just let tiny little baby-faced assassin... Francois Stein never go oh, from Doesn't he look all meters. cute and cuddly, bless him. Oh, he's adorable. <laughs> Francois Stein taking the ball on a crash ball and attempting a drop goal. Really interesting. It's, it's... Can we just say, though, they didn't start this because on 13 minutes, it's Mike Cart who decides know, after, yeah. after watching the forwards fall over each other for that... five phases around the rock, he said, give it here, I'll fuck this. I'm going to try. And it, well, it was awful and he missed. But and that's the thing, though, because I sort found of test that... of, A battle of wills, then, between fly-offs, but James has to have one. That it's... England attack in the lead of the Mike Cat drop goal <laughs> is offensive. <laughs> like... It's not so in the sense great, though, it isn't like, defense. When... Like it is actually upsetting to me as a person. <laughs> I was 
I was angry and offended and I I felt like someone had personally come for me watching England throw (laughs) like 12 players around one ruck and then try and throw it to someone who'd lose an inch, like not even notable distance. They would lose about one inch and they did this about seven times before Mike (laughs) Cat stood about 30 metres behind the game line, goes... Oh, I've only got Jamie Noon outside me and misses a drop goal. <laughs> and the commentators were going like, she's oh, a ball sure that's a good chest option. And then drop goals. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, you know, like you look at that drop goal attempt and also literally every time and... England like went to the corner and tried an attack in the 22 and stuff. And knowing the score, you just go, right, I can't wait to see how I'm going to fuck this <laughs> yeah. one up. But like there's a, like the, the ball comes back to Mike Cat and the Springbok defence has been good across this game. And it's generally their line speed has been really good. They put a lot of pressure on, etc. They don't hear. They just let him go at it. And he just goes, <laughs> oh, like an actual cat would have done better, would have had a better swing at it. It was <laughs> horrible. And like the commentators start saying like, oh, I don't know why he went for the drop goal there. And you're like, yeah, did you not see the rest of the attack? You know, see, there's no way they're getting five or seven points out of this. Yeah. They Mike might Cat as well have plays a crack. what's in front of him, and what's in front of him was a <laughs> malodrome shit show. So you don't have to try try and kick the ball. What was the, the funny part of this whole thing is that, like, in the lead up to this game, and I remember it at the time, like, there was all this talk about, like, oh, without. Without Ollie Barkley and without Johnny Wilkinson, like, can we trust, you know, Andy Farrell to be a, t- a test goal kicker at this, you know, in a, in a World Cup? And he literally does. He was down as even... a goal kicker for this game, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was, mm-hmm. but he literally doesn't even get a chance. There was, like, there was they big, do not massive pieces single... around because the ball's a slightly different shape in rugby league. It's slightly mm. fatter, whether he would be able to kick properly in rugby. There was literally people were getting, as if he hasn't practiced in training for the previous two or three years. <laughs> yeah. That was a shit people fret about rather than the fact that everybody on the team is terrible. They were more <laughs> and, really and ancient. An incredible combination of terrible and geriatric. Also, after that drop goal attempt, it cuts to an Australian rum advert, then immediately to Johnny Wilkinson sat on the bench <laughs> looking sad. Realistically, probably could have done with that Bundaberg at that point. <laughs> Absolutely could have. Weirdly Before that sung- happened, I mean, what I want to say is England were were roundly beaten mm. it, all over the place by South Africa. But I think the, one of the more frustrating elements of it, watching it back again as well, was how much they fucked up stuff that they weren't being beaten at, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Like missing touch with kicks. Obviously, knocked so many fancy, knock-ons. In fact, every line-out call <laughs> throughout the entire game. That's not South Africa's fault, is it? That you're calling this intricate, stupid shit. What was it that one point when Mark Regan tried to throw the ball yes. over his own line out on his own five meter line? <laughs> and it was only the absolute stone handedness of Jack Ferry again that presented that being a, a walk in from five meters. Like Jack Ferry literally had the ball in his hands and just decided to throw it on the floor. I think out of pity. <laughs> it was just. It was just before that line out was when Haban had his first run. And, he's, mm-hmm. and, and his step around Sean Perry in open play <laughs> summed up both players' tournaments and the rest of their lives, basically. Ryan Sean Perry sat on his ass while Habana gloriously galloped off into the distance. Basically. It genuinely feels Wait, Those like... men in the pub weren't complaining about Brian Habana. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> Legacy. It, Brian Habana in this game, you genuinely feel like he like didn't, 
get the round in or something that week because like literally nobody passes in the ball the entire game. It's like at that point he's the most dangerous winger in the world. He scored four and tries like, in the previous to... game. Maybe he didn't buy his <laughs> like, jug. Maybe. And it's yeah. like <laughs> and it's not or maybe they're just like, oh, we're just gonna give JP all the tries in this game. It's like, all right, Bry? Yeah, fine. <laughs> also, going right the way back, but something mm. that unsettled me from the the off in this game, right? Mm. When the teams come out of the tunnel, the box are stripped down to their match shirts, but for some reason they're still wearing tracksuit bottoms. And they they stand there wearing tracksuit bottoms with like without an anthem jacket or anything, mm. just like shirt on top, tracksuit bottoms on the bottom. They literally look like they're sort of hanging around outside the bookies or something. <laughs> Like professional gamblers, and I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why they wouldn't that, just. That like... goes against the legs. Don't get cold, Maxim, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it's like, why from the southern hemisphere, do you think? It stinks of all backwards. Eddie England... Jones, team unity, bonding, whatever bullshit, doesn't it? Yeah, like because England can't make their mind up. Half of them are in anthem jackets, half of them aren't, but they've all got their shorts on. And but literally, the entire South African team has got shirts and tracky bottoms, and it seems so incongruous, and it doesn't look right. I hate it. Somebody, Eddie Jones, explain that. <laughs> he really should. This is the main thing we want to hear Eddie Jones country, on now. The country wants, demands to know. <laughs> I do I have just... to say that if, if England had something resembling a pack that could produce anything, mm. Farrell showed flashes of being a decent crash ball 12. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, yeah. he, he really did. You know, when you're in the shit, he straightened up a few. Sucked in quite mm. a few and got over the tape. He was still big and strong enough and dynamic enough to and get his hands free yeah. as well. I'm clutching at straws here, by the way. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know it, it, there was flashes of, oh, well, that's what he could do. And he put his foot through the ball a couple of times, all right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he kicks actually quite well in this game. Well, like, England have a moment. They have a period in that first half where their pack does get on top and they have two good scrums in a row. And they win a penalty from one and can't miss his touch. And then from the second, they win it against the head. Sean Perry kicks it out on the oh, full. Oh, no. The grubber out on the full, which yeah, is something that's a hell of a skill. Something that genuinely and should never be allowed to happen. Let's go back a step. Who the fuck was he kicking to? <laughs> <laughs> Even if it hadn't got into touch, who? what was that for? Because he, the, he... the best answer that's possible to that question is, if he was on his wing, which he wasn't, would have been Paul Sackey. Yeah, which is a totally mm. inadequate answer, Will, as you're, you're very well aware. But he, like, honks it into touch, and it's just all wrong. It's just, it's so bad. It was against it. And even the, the Aussie coaches went, oh, you can't be doing that with turnover ball. It was like, it was like no oh, shit. It was, yeah. It I'm, was a I'm, bit like anything I'm, that happened that was half decent. England, not I'm, even under pressure, just ruined it for themselves. Instinctively wrote in my notes, what a twat after he did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's entirely valid. I was going to say, Lee, I want to build on what you are saying before about the line-out throws from Regan. There's that one, that brilliant one, where they set up and they do the little huddle and then they, they all set up for the line-out and then they go, all right, lads, are we all ready for the really uh, tricky move that we're about to run, lads? Are we ready for this really tricky move we're about to run? And then Mark Regan has the ball over his head and then gets into a normal passing position and goes, okay, are we ready to run this move at the front of the line-out? <laughs> and waits for Tom Reese to run in position. Tom Reese runs to the front of the line-out. Mark Regan delivers what I would say is quite a normal time pass. Doesn't throw like a bullet at him. Throws a normally timed pass. And just Tom Reese's ribs open up for Baggy's border to kill him. And he drops the ball. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, well done. The number of calls that were like that. 
I think yeah. probably by about halfway through the second half, they just started throwing to the front, didn't they? They were yeah. like, come on, seriously. That's what it, it all... And that, before that, it was crazy. Like, the whole England team, their attack, their line-out, everything, reminded me of that era where the Ospreys didn't have a coach and they looked completely mm. clueless in everything other than clearing out rucks. Like, they had no idea what to do next. They had no idea when to do anything. And they kind of have that vibe of as though they're actually not coached. Like, there doesn't look like there's anything going on. Like, what are they being taught in order to learn, like, like look like this? Yeah. Like, is Brian Ashton going back into the classroom and teaching them geography instead? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, and th- there was a couple of flashes of stuff, usually on first phase. With England, you went, oh, I can, I can see you've, you've at least been coached. Yeah, you can see what you're doing. Yeah. But, but, like, that that um, quick tap from Robinson, where he Jason Robinson. That was class. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. Field. So <laughs> and good. even got knocked and managed to, like, do a, do a sort of 720 spin at full pace. <laughs> and then and bounce on clear pirouette. Yeah, and then he and then he fell over, and then they recycled it relatively quickly, and it came to Fowler, who hit this lovely angled, sort of driven kick into the into into the touch just in the twenty two, and you're like, oh, you can build from there. Then of course they fucked up the whole line out throw, but every time something looked like it was coming to something, that's that's what kept happening. Yeah, I mean, just the the, the overriding memory right from when you get to about a half hour in, really, and from watching mm. it again, is that South Africa just do everything approximately. 156,000% better than everything <laughs> yeah. that we All right, Clive Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Um, there is a definite sense that, like, the box are not firing on all cylinders at this point, but they're just so much better than... Still 10 nil up after 10 minutes, like... Yeah, like, and it's just... The like, half-time scores are one of the most baffling things about this game. Yeah, how it's not, like, 35-36 nil. Like, if they just got the majority of their kicks and Jacques Free hadn't dropped it over the line after that Foy Dupree quick tap, they would have been, I think, 26 nil up, which still would have flattered England. Mm. (laughs) Yes. If you had been on it, it would have been like 42. Yeah, (laughs) if he was playing fullback instead of Montgomery. This is the other thing is like, other than the missed drop goal attempts, you wouldn't know Butch James is playing for about 35 minutes. And it's no. like got a big vibe of like with Foy Dupree playing that well, you could have put Alarma at ten and you would have won the World Cup. But then, but shame suddenly the last five minutes is like someone says that to him, and being the most aggressive fly half to ever live, he then just goes right, okay, well, screw you, and he does like three perfect touch finder kicks in a row, <laughs> like perfectly bouncing out in the twenty two, like it's a rare spotting of a pre glove, James. Yes, mm. yeah, they need to get Simon Webster there to sell him some gloves. <laughs> England are, and the, the frustrating thing is that England are like borderline competent for for one phase a couple of times, mm. and then then mm. after that it's like they've it's like they've collectively all walked into a room and forgotten why they've gone in there. Do you know what we all do? It's like, and then they all suddenly <laughs> seem to remember that the reason why they went in there was to be humiliated by yet another turnover counter attack. Basically, that, <laughs> that seems to be the sum total of their entire coached approach. Really, it's remarkable, uh, isn't it? And just and yet so. Like what is it? What did anyone expect when you pick that team and this squad for this World Cup? Going to win the World Cup, mate. Don't know what you're on about. Very good. Really fucking do. It, that yeah. in itself. I mean, it's we're going to come on to this later, but the next two games are some of the most <laughs> remain inexplicable. They, they they defy analysis. They, they really deserve a Robbie forty-five minute video on each of those games to try and understand what happens. But 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 that's not for now. No. The Guardian's match report said that root canal surgery without anaesthetic would be marginally less painful for England supporters. And I think that is an That's understatement. Kitson, isn't it? Only Kitson yeah, yeah, yeah. that shit. 
I know it's so <laughs> like hack-made. that's the thing. It's like you, that's your opening gambit of the match report, and it's very like you've gone for the most extreme thing you can think of, and it is almost nothing. Yeah, interesting. The the Guardian's minute by minute is still alive. If you want to go oh. and look at it. Which is done by Paul Doyle, which is a, a dramatic improvement over Kitson's fucking match report. Doyle's obviously, yeah. is there a blood <laughs> and mud minute by minute on this? Or oh, I, I didn't do minute by minutes. The technology was too tricky back in the day. <laughs> I mean, it's there's there's it's 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 real good. <laughs> when England like spend five minutes in the box half after about seventy minutes, it's like oh, corpses do indeed twitch. Then it's <laughs> 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 very good. Uh, just the the level of rage that goes down as you work through the 70 minutes you know just like just the sheer incompetence that he's witnessing (laughs) and just he's Irish Paul so we should know exactly that's that's the thing it's like I'm sitting here like you know four frames of pool deep at this point (laughs) and I'm just like fucking hell with greater competence in every stroke than what you see on the It's it, 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 it. There was a lot of games that were hard to watch at the 2007 World Cup, but like, yeah, it's 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 so easy for the box. They're just mm. like sitting there. They're like they're like nightclub doorman with like a, 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 a drunk man who thinks he can sort of like sneak his way in when they're not looking, and it's like no, go away. He's like it's like too pathetic for them even to fucking take around the back and kick shit out of. <laughs> it's like they're just like go on, fuck You're off. Gently pushing him back to the floor. Every time yeah, exactly. Thing it's... is, I was I was quite entertained by this. I don't know if that's just because the bar's so low after it's... 1987. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. that's something. It was a big flashback to that. But it's going so badly for England that at halftime, the neutral Australian coverage starts asking, in order to, co- to create some drama in this, who will South Africa take off to rest with a view for the quarterfinals? <laughs> That's just, their big story it, narrative. Can, can I just say, before, before we got to half-time, my favourite probably ever bollocking by a ref was given to Matt Stevens by Joel Jude. <laughs> oh, it's great. He says to him, he reels out the litany of the things that he's just not happy about. You're in front of the ball, you're offside, and you cannot use your shoulder on somebody's head. <laughs> I love the fact that like because and he does that because Stevens basically like is is like what what the fuck did I do and and is getting a bit narky. He probably had you know a, a big old line of coke before the game, yeah. and, and and then he sort of pulls his because he, he's still scrum cap Matt Stevens at this point, and then sort of over the course of the bollocking like Stevens gradually like pulls his scrum cap off and by the end he's sort of like scrum cap in hand and like head down apologising. <laughs> So you stood offside and you just rammed your shoulder to somebody's face when it it was just it was amazing. He actually did all right, Matt Stevens. I yeah, yeah, he yeah. did okay, and he's and he brought actually. So he is a bit of a. We are was, clutching at straws here, yeah, man. He's, he's a bit of a proto Kyle Sinclair, isn't he? He's decent with his hands and offers a little bit. It wasn't, but yeah, he There's did it. all right. The end of the first half. Foy Dupria is class again. Yeah, because he is Shock. just absurd. And he has one of those little runs that a lot of scrum halves go for and only DuPont gets away with. Except <laughs> here he has the same thing where he somehow managed to scoot on the outside. And you've got all the England defender like, it's like that, that run never works. Like someone's going to stop him. Someone's going to shut this down. And everyone leaves it. It's like got big your man energy. 
everyone's standing up and waiting until in the end he's drawing the last guy and putting Peterson in the corner to score. I was going to say, this game just generally, it had the vibe of like a second team game where by the 50th minute you think, oh, the referee's just going to call it short and just say like, you know what, lads, we've had enough. Because it did feel like that. It was that one-sided. But I tell you what, there was a real great point of evening the games up for a little bit to see, you know, just what it would like be like if both teams had Sean Perry playing nine for them. As a seemingly council estate pass was delivered by Osdu Rant to Fori Dupria. It was like one of the worst passes I've ever seen. <laughs> and Fori Dupria has to like turn around, bend down, pick it up and go, oh right, they've not defended me. And then as you say, runs like 50 odd metres. And England still can't <laughs> defend it. Despite the fact Osdu Rant has just gone, yeah, done his best Sean Perry impression it's mental Osterant is literally again 38 39 again, years old yeah i don't point. blame him he's a cl- class player like and he's, he's playing in the front row as you say he's in his early 40s like i don't expect him to deliver a good pass and yeah. there's for a Dupria going the whole way and again like it just goes to show if they had someone shit playing halfback for them like that whole game south africa still would have run away with it <laughs> now if we're talking about type 5 forwards failing to execute skills Mm. Can we move on to, oh, I think, my yes. favourite moment of the game? I, I genuinely had to pause the game to laugh and laugh and Just laugh. Just before we get on to that, can we, can we make the point that Sean Perry goes off at half-time? Yes. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> he I never love about, comes back. What I love about that, so Sean Perry goes off, Andy Gomesock comes off for him, and uh, the, the lead commentator, Ben Darwin, turns to his co-commentator, Ben Tune and says, so, uh, Andy Gomesol's on. What kind of difference do you think he's going to make? And he gets no response. <laughs> <laughs> Tumbleweed. Yeah, it was because it was pure Peter Richards Gomesol for the rest of the World Cup, wasn't it? Which, I mean, is a hell of a sentence <laughs> to have to write, but it was. Uh, yes, loved, please, um... back, back on the greatest moments of the entire yes, game. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I mean, it's truly remarkable. Shortly after half time, England find themselves deep in the South African 22. It's one of their first real attacking chances of the game. They've just come back out. They've conceded a few points than you would have expected or thought in the first half. And so you think there might be a chance if you're Brian Ashton, you can go, you know what? Actually, we've got completely out of it, but there's a chance to really make a statement here and get back into it and, you know, mm. really reestablish yourself. And they've done the first, the hard part of getting into the territory, getting the ball, getting an attacking chance going, and the ball gets wide to Ben Kay in the outside channels. Famously, a very skillful lock for the era. His one one moment in the last World Cup final excluded. Ben Kay receives the ball in kind of the 13 position, and he has Jamie Noonan outside him, which is the first problem. <laughs> and as Ben Kay receives the ball, right, he looks up and he sees no space in behind the South African line. And he thinks, I know what's on here. Let's try the worst chip kick ever done oh on a rugby field. It's so bad. How does he manage to drop the ball behind him onto <laughs> his foot? How does how do you do that? It's uh, yeah, and it somehow goes completely laterally across and then straight in the arms of JP Peterson. What I, I rewound it, it about six times to check out to see Peterson's what's going on. Take of that where he catches the ball and then kind of turns over and goes, "Oh, Mark, I guess." Mark, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that after that's happened, Am I allowed to mark falls off a over. Lock? And K falls over. So he kicks his like Even if you had managed to kick that beautifully, you've just fallen over. What are you going to do with it? There's no way it's. 
It's uh, it's it's incredible. Shout out to the pass that found him from Andy Farrell, by the way, a proper twenty-five <laughs> meter spinning <laughs> torpedo <laughs> job. As pointless as it was, beautiful in many ways. Because <laughs> I had just as the second half started, friend of the podcast Connor of Wibble Rugby, the other U Space Tube channel, <laughs> who has not been publicly called out by any former Letter Tigers yet, which is a real shame. He needs to get on yet. that. Okay, uh, I'll be on shit. that soon. <laughs> it should be. He rang me just as I was starting watching the second half. And I explained what I was doing. His first thing was, he went, mate, why are you doing that extremely angry with me? (laughs) Um, And then he started talking and he started running by, blah, 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 blah. And then mid-sentence, while he was midway through talking about something very serious about the Six Nations, I just burst out laughing because I'd just (laughs) seen Ben K attempt a kick. (laughs) At which point I figured I'd better pause this and return once we've hung up. I'd kind of forgotten about it, to be honest, until I was mm. And I did, the first thing I did was was go, who the fuck was that? <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? Because one, I couldn't understand why he was there. Yeah. One. Two, I don't understand why he was choosing to do that. And three, of course, I could um, even less understand it of what actually happened. So it's just unbelievable. Because he dropped really. it onto his left foot. So for a moment, I thought, oh, Johnny Wilkinson's come on. But <laughs> no. I want to add fact, he's got he's got those like really shiny black gloves on and that head. It looks like a sort of like a cartoon seal out there trying to like <laughs> use this maneuvers. It's very strange. I want to add as well that England obviously going twenty nil down at half time. What do you think? And I, I want we to go open again, this up lads. to the floor. It's nil, I want I want to know. Again. Yeah, what do you think was being said? Or alternatively, what would you say oh. in that changing room? Well, Andy Farris went to go get up, get up. <laughs> Get the fuck up. Get the fuck up. No, what um, do you say? Imagine what Ashton said, just wandering around quietly lisping. He must have said more thing. of the same. You'd more of the same, lads. The French word for taxi. He probably, <laughs> probably had to say, like, yeah, we're only, what is it, 20 nil down? Like, that's, you know, three quick tries, lads, and we're back in this. <laughs> and Andy's got his kicking boots on. Because where yeah. do you start from a kind of... T- Genuinely, from a kind of coaching point of view, trying to fix everything. Oh, there's absolutely, there's absolutely nothing half. you can do. You say, well, if we could just do that a bit better, lads, we've got a chance here. It's like, what the? No. If you could we'll just all put... be more like Fury Dupree or actually be him, we've got a chance here, <laughs> mm. lads. And it's just like, you know what? The, the front front line out move thing, that didn't work. We'll have to go on to the other move that involves, you know, the one that involves Ben K chipping the ball for Peterson. <laughs> that one, we'll give that a go. I mean, it's worth a go. The kicking game as well. I mean, when we got about 15 minutes into the second half, it's almost like South Africa were just like deliberately taking the piss <laughs> because they were like yeah. mocking England with every, every about three separate players doing these, four players probably doing these beautifully caressed kicks all over the place. Oh, watch this one, lads. This is what I do just off me third There are some, re- there are some genuinely mean? really sexy kicks in this game that would be 50-22s in the modern mm. game. And you're like, and it was Ooh. Stain, it was Montgomery, it was Dupree, yeah. it was James as well when he decided he had to like show some show something, <laughs> and it was uh, they were all perfectly weighted either with length or height. They were like inside of the boot, outside of the boot. It was all just, and then we just, and then we had Andy Farrell taking about eighteen minutes to like lever himself into booting one. Great when he got hold of it, like, but uh, mm. it was shocking. Then comes kind of probably the most painful moment of the game. Of course, England starts to kind of string something together and you're like, oh, you know what? 
they're getting some of the most dangerous players in space. And I'm not just talking Jamie Noon here. <laughs> As Jamie Noon passes on to Jason Robinson and you go like, here we go. Jason Robinson's already made two breaks in this game, despite the whole rest of his team being an absolute sack of shit, right? And then as soon as he gets it right, he gets lo- he's in loads of space. And you're like, okay, Robinson, Billy Wiz is about to go here. You know, if you give him a one-on-one or even a one-on-two, right, you can expect him to oh. light this place up. And he only goes and pulls his hamstring, doesn't he? And it's just the most soul-crushing moment I've ever seen, even as somebody who wasn't supporting England. He does it about 10, 15 metres away from the that's, tackle. That's the and he then has thing. to hobble towards the guy about to tackle him. <laughs> like, he can barely walk in order and to because meet of someone the way to he smash wants, him. It took me a second to go, is he doing a step here? Because he has this <laughs> yeah. jerky step, doesn't he? He's like, oh, God, no, he's really hurt himself. But he, he, was, he spent half an hour of this game with his face bloodied didn't yes. he? while trying to mm. run around. His effort in this game, he literally snapped himself trying to make up for the absolute shit that was revolving around him for most of this game. <laughs> he snapped himself, bloodied <laughs> face, 86 years old. <laughs> Fact, he was, and still he England's was most dangerous back by yeah. a distance. That's he was by such a distance. Yeah. England's best player in this game, like oh, um, yeah, unbelievable. Like he was, he was so over a five in the player ratings is him. I it? would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think he was he was excellent, and then he goes off and he's like, "This literally could not get any worse for England." I don't know. I think Mike Cat is so bad that he comes out the other side through the other end of infinite numbers. <laughs> And somehow ends up getting like an 86, which is his age, actually, at his next birth after this World Cup. It's... It a Matt, and Matt Tate comes on. That's thinking, oh, Matt Tate's coming on. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. Was Balshaw injured pre-tournament? I can't remember oh, I don't the know. squad. He must have he was been. either he injured or shit. He was one of those two. But they tried Ollie Morgan this year as well from Gloucester, <laughs> who had like who had 90s curtains, which was a right oh, throwback. But it was a, yeah. I remember Ollie, Ollie Morgan's a player. He's Ollie a Yorso Mor- Club player. The, yeah. Morgan. He has the name of a Yorso Club Gloucester back free player. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes. He must have been injured because he played against New Zealand and Argentina in 2006. Okay. Right. In the autumn. And then he's, uh, he's England's first choice fullback against Wales in the Six Nations in 2008. Oh, wow. Brian okay. Ashton was on record. Well, he was terrible, by the way. Right. I'm trying to unpick it because Brian Ashton was on record. And this is true, right? of saying that Jason Robinson's best position in international rugby specifically was left mm. wing. So he always picked him at left wing pretty much, but I think he ran out of fullbacks. Yeah. Which end. is why he tried to blood Cueto there. Yeah. And oh, Lucy was, Lucy was shuttled between wing and fullback loads as well. Strange one. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I mean, we might as well rattle through some of the other shit England tried to get up to uh, in this game. There's a point where South Africa just give away a procession of penalties. No, well, they're not going to score against us, are they? Like, We could have five yellow cards and they're not going to score against us. There's one attack where they have like two phases of real momentum and get up to the try line. And I was just... I couldn't believe the kind of the pre knowledge I had that they're not going to score from this. Yeah, because you just yes. can't see a way that they're going to achieve that. <laughs> them passing to Mike Cat and him dropping it on first phase, and just like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, there's one late on when Farrell gets the ball in the twenty-two in about the thirty in about round about the thirteen channel, throws a really pointless dummy. I think both ways, and just crack gets crunched by two players, and somehow tries to offload it as he's going down. And they all talk, they, he gets the right bollock in then about we should play long enough rugby at this level to know that you should hold the ball in that <laughs> situation. It's like the third, thirty nil down with about twelve minutes left. <laughs> Who cares at this point? The yeah. commentator said that maybe he thought that he was on the sixth tackle, so he's going to get turned <laughs> over. Like, no, he didn't think that. He like, knows what he knows what sport he's playing at the literal World Cup. And also, <laughs> he could count. Yeah. <laughs> England didn't make it to six tackles all game. <laughs> hey, he manages to he manages to close her banner down on the street though doesn't he farrell it was like the most mm. beautiful bit of like angled defensive tracking because pace wise obviously it'd have been a complete no non-start wouldn't it but it's completely ridiculous like it at times this game feels like one of those hypothetical questions where he asked like what would happen if you dropped the team from 2003 like the 2003 england team and dropped them in against a team from nowadays with all of the coaching and fitness innovations that have happened since and yeah, and it's just like it's England have so not moved on that they've moved actively backwards. It's and I mean you've then got Foy Dupree and you've got the rest of the spring box. But on the upside, around the sixty odd minute mark, England bring on George Shooter and the game changes entirely. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is about South Africa, they from memory, look look at it again, there's very few tries that they actively phase and create. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the stuff done off counterattacking are just pure talent and pure skill. Even the one where there's that brilliant one where, where Fury Dupria runs around, I think about eight players, and then just pops the ball to Peterson, who runs it in the corner. He, he runs, runs he into runs. the England biggest players. That's the thing. He, he like runs, actively yeah. runs into them. Yeah, he runs like laterally, doesn't he? Around about mm. seven forwards and in between the two of them. He's like a sort of like somebody doing a one four seven break, like he's in the reds, in the balls, you know what I mean? And managing to work his way through it. And they're too stupid to do anything about it. And they just pop it to Peterson who scores. And that kind of summed it all up, really. It's like they don't even have to try very hard. No. You're not even making them work. You're not even making them be like think. It's just horrendous. Absolutely it's got horrendous. the kind of energy of when you've got your first playing your thirds and only one of the first is really trying properly in Foy de Prea. <laughs> and the rest are kind of like, they're just better. They're just better and they're not really fast. Like Matfield does a couple of line-out steals, but lets some of the balls play a bit a few times. He could have nicked those as well. You know, only Foy de Prea is going at 100%. Shout out to Vane and Olafia coming on looking like the Prince from Shrek, though. All the time for that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> It's a very good shout. And Ruin Pina are coming on on the wing for Brian Habana. Yeah. And then goes back off again because they went, oh, it's a yeah. blood thing, is it? Ruin Pina starts at fullback in the next game. Mm. Which, oh, wow. I mean, what? <laughs> we'll let you know how that goes, Josh. Yeah. Current England coach comes on, of course. Steve Borthwick comes on with a blue scrum mm. cap on. And just seems, generally seems to just be fuming. That's his job. Go yeah. on and be fuming, Steve. 
I mean, to be fair, who can fucking blame him? He's having to watch this shit. In an interview the other week, he talked about how being dropped before the 2003 World Cup and then how shit this World Cup went and felt for him because he was watching it for most of it. He was on the bench most of the time. You know, he was witnessing the shit. It's a big motivation for what he wants to do with England as a coach now because he just hated this game so much. <laughs> Andrew Sheridan did okay, actually. This was yeah, no, yeah, I thought that. I thought yeah. a bit of Australia. Um, yeah. And then he kind of lived off that for too long, if I'm honest, but he did. He did all right. Perry I particularly Freshwater replaced him. Perry yeah, I remember him. This was a strange old time. Wasn't this the Chris Horseman period as well for Wales? Yeah, yeah. Been, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd scored Perry, against England. Perry Freshwater was already ancient before he even got a cap. And like just appeared for like seven or eight caps or something. You have to remember then... that for, for some reason, Woodward never picked Simon Shaw. Mm. And I'm assuming it's because Woodward was big on, he was one of the first people through the wall on data and shit, wasn't he? And all that mm. kind of stuff. And that, and that energizes and sappers shit. So I'm assuming Shaw had just like bad numbers and was a bit grumpy or something. So, so wasn't mm. allowed in. So it's almost like Shaw was allowed to play till he was 70 because he was like robbed of three years under Woodward or something. Because beyond that, it's, it's, mind you though, you know, when you look at people who are in the, waiting the wings to come in, it's not even like Shaw was a big shout as, a clangingly awful selection. Isn't no, it? no, no. I was going to say, look who's playing for England within a couple. Of, you know, starting a lot for England in a couple of years' time. You know, it's it's not good. Deacon Palmer. Like yeah. Palmer was all right. Tom Palmer was an all right player. I'm not going to defend him massively any more than that, but he <laughs> I was, was all right. Say, don't, don't go laugh. I mean, by two, what is it? 2009. You're looking at like Nick Kennedy. You're looking at right. Lewis Deacon. Yeah, you're looking at Steve Borthwick being England captain. Martin Johnson loved Lewis Deacon. He mm. really did. Quick shout out for Peter Richards' two minute cameo in the centres, and just looking at him <laughs> running on, just going like, "Yes, I've got my cap now. Finally. I've got another cap." And just clearly, like he was, even though thirty six nil down, he was still going out on the lash tonight. Like he'd already decided at half time, like you know what, it doesn't matter about the score. I'm getting pissed after this. Literally <laughs> highlights. So many highlights. <laughs> he just loves going out, Peter Richards, as we learned. Big into it. Yeah, and it all starts to get... England start to have that thing where they visibly just want the game to be over. Mm. And you have Josh Lucy doing the most 1987 throwback thing I've seen. Yes. Where he's waiting at fullback. The ball comes towards him. And he just, in a moment, of, as he exhales, he as he sighs... He looks at it, has an existential moment of dread, of sadness, of I've dedicated my life to get to playing for England in a Rugby World Cup, and this is what it's like. And he just puts the ball, he volleys the ball out an inch in front of him in full-on Stefano Gazzoni style. He had that look on his face of like when you sniff the milk and realise it's gone off. Uh, of just and like, oh, no, you can't do anything with in. that. You've already yeah, boiled exactly. the kettle and put the water in it's the like, tea I, bag. I, I can't be dealing with that. Like, I have to just get rid of this. And it's like, it's just, it's a problem. Like, it's just, it's slightly upsetting. And it's not a massive problem. You can And he's already out. having a bad day. But yeah. <laughs> it's quite painful to watch. And I also made the 1987 connection. It's It's horrible. England run a another move in the 22, which is remarkable that this is their best attacking move, <laughs> where they run a loop play with Josh Lucy, who gets it and brings Matt Stevens on the wing, running an <laughs> angle into three South African defenders. <laughs> Just like they drew it up, I'm sure. <laughs> 
What more can you ask for? Just didn't quite come off that one, lads. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything that speaks on behalf of just how England's backline played. Then there's a point where 67 minutes into the game, the commentator looks down at his team sheet to see who's playing 13 for England. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was I mean, I don't think Jamie Noon touched the ball till about the 70th minute, did he? Well, he so knocked I it certainly on. didn't hear his name. The two people whose names I genuinely don't think I heard at any point throughout this game are Jamie Noon, obviously, who is you know basically just a large waste of time. But also, uh, what's his face? Uh, Vickers van Heerden, the mm. replacement for Sharp Berger, who's suspended in this game. Again, Kel Surprise. Literally, don't hear his name once. And yeah, mm. I assume he had a tidy game. There's something must have something must have gone right for on an open side thing for South Africa to be this dominant, but you just never you just I didn't hear his name once. There's a whole paragraph on Jamie Noon's Wikipedia page about how good Matt Tate is when he comes in for him in this World Cup. <laughs> it says that Noon didn't play again after the two thirty six no defeat to South Africa. Matt Tate took his spot at outside centre was very pivotal. As his young teammate was one of England's standout players throughout the tournament, in particular the final where he ran over 50 <laughs> metres, evaded 12 springbok tacklers over the course of the game and ran, made one break only to be pulled down a few metres short thanks to a great cover tackle by Victor Matfield. Usually it's That's on players Jamie mums, Noon's Wikipedia say, page. Players' mums usually edit their own uh, Offspring's <laughs> Wikipedia also, page. the very next sentence of that is, however... Through hard work and a ret- the retirement of Mike Cat, Noon was reinstalled at the Centre for England's 2006 Nation. One of those things is more important this than the other. There reads hard like the transition. Mike Cat retiring. This reads like the transition of Lee going from David Strettles injured to the flow charting. <laughs> Do you think he worked really hard to convince Mike Cat to retire? That was it. <laughs> yeah. Now it's out to Juan Smith, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, and was great right through to the... Um, John Smith, one of those players from that era that doesn't get talked about nearly mm. enough, but was yeah. fucking class and hard as nails. Yeah. Replaced by Bobby Skinstad, and the, the commentators are so kind of fed up with what was in front of him by then, started talking about how he's letting his hair grow a bit longer these days. <laughs> for when Bobby Skinstad came on, he's like, what else are we going to talk about? How often can we just say England are fucking terrible? Let's just talk about <laughs> Bobby Skinstad's hair. That's him. Um, even then, he then went on to become a kind of perma shit eating grinned rugby host of like rugby world still, television or something, didn't he? Yeah, he still, yeah. he still does commentary stuff for Supersport, I think. Weirdly, in the very early days of Twitter, sort of 2009 10, where like there wasn't really much rugby people on there, mm. like Bobby Skinstad just started following me one day out of <laughs> the blue, along with Will Carling. Didn't last for oh. long. It was one of those just like, oh. Why is, uh, it might not have even been the real Bobby Skinstad. There was no verification in those days. But I think it was the real Bobby Skinstad, and then just one day he just clearly decided he'd seen enough. This My one of those here. was um, Nemia Tialata uh, randomly followed me on oh, Twitter yeah. when I was like 14, which is mad. And Jonah Lomu, weirdly, followed me at one point, which is mad, and not a sentence I'd like to say in real life. Pre, pre, <laughs> or, cat, pre or post-death, because I remember it's just... <laughs> His family kept the Twitter yes. account going for a while. And when it was weird. He started tweeting about NFTs like a year ago. And it's like, hold on a second. Oh, what, are you do- what are you doing, Jonah? You mentioned him, Will Carlin was is remembered because this was the blog. The t- I launched the blog now. Lots of people mm. did. It was that time. And people were trying to embrace this new media thing. 
And Will Carling had set up his own website, the name of which I can't remember. Mm. But in a, weirdly, I know it sounds bad to say it, but he was a kind of a he was a mad ahead of his time because what he started doing was doing direct to camera monologues. Oh wow! Fast forward ten years, you know, I'm not saying they want to watch him, but that was everyone. Nobody understood it because what he would do, he'd like, oh, do, he create. What he did, and I remember, because I've just seen it on his Wikipedia page, it was like a sort of rugby-focused social media thing. It was called was Raku. It. I remember him being a bit Raku. like... Raku. I've not Raku, seen this. Is that what it was called? Raku, yeah. Raku, yeah, that was it. And yeah. he, he'd, do these, he'd do these monologues, but he'd do them sat in his kitchen with no background or anything, mm. just with a microphone, a bit like this, with a microphone for him. And he would like be doing like ridiculous Welsh accents and like telling like stories out those doing voices and stuff. And so it didn't, you know, it didn't really play out for him, it has to be said. But in a way, you know, he was maybe um, like with his comments about how the RFU was run, because obviously that's all sorted now. Um, he, was, um, <laughs> he was a man ahead of his time. Mm. So I quite got, like Will um, Carling, I think. He comes across quite well. He seems so. all right, yeah. yeah. I found the press release for uh, Rocky. <laughs> Uh, or Roku, uh, a new rugby brand with edge designed to appeal to those who <laughs> like their game to be real. From the grassroots to international legends, Rocky will be the home to news and views of all who love rugby, said Will Carling, Rocky founder. <laughs> we can look forward to an exciting... Rocky has been trialling interactive media content and is now presented to a wider audience with the latest social networking technology being used as a platform. They got all the words in there, didn't they? All of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As well as our growing mix of star blogs, forum banter, and all our other features, we'll be hosting some specific World Cup-related initiatives, including this is my favorite. a bespoke predictor team spreadsheet, a fantasy game, and the main <laughs> event, exclusive screenings of matches at a top London venue. Hey, I love them trailing their biggest feature as bring a spreadsheet. <laughs> secondly, I'm just a big fan of when I bet it was in describe... Lotus 1, 2, 3 as well, not even in Excel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We didn't have Google Sheets back then. How are you sharing them? <laughs> it's exclusive screenings and matches at a top London venue. Uh, it's it's a club the... called Scirocco, which I thought was a Volkswagen. Uh, <laughs> and you get discount you get discounted entrance if you're a registered Rocky member. Ah, I will, I will imagine add, for a we... minute, will you, the people in that room? <laughs> Incredible! If you went to that screening, Th- that screening could I have been held did. in a Volkswagen. Just so you know, we didn't know how many people turned up. It could have been that they sold three tickets, and we're like, right, two of you hop in the back, one of you in the front. Who's paid the most? Can I shock you all? The website is currently you can register it. It is inactive. If anyone fancies bring it. back Rocky, bring <laughs> back Rocky. Yeah, uh, elsewhere it says Rocky has had significant input from Welsh wizard Yian Evans and all black great Zinzan Brook with an intention to appeal to all parts of the rugby world. Further additions to the legend stable are likely. We're clear about the kind of contributions we want, says Carling. We know that rugby fans will engage with those who've been there and done it, but most importantly, are willing and able to tell it how it is. Yes, that's what we want. We want people to tell it how it is. This is why Austin Healy is the greatest commentator anyone's ever seen. This is why we need to listen to Mike Brown's Daily Mail column more and more. People that have been there and done it, but tell it how it is. Touchline truth. Actually, this sounds like we've stolen their brand. Touchline truths and irreverent opinion it's the perfect formula for real debate in rugby's virtual clubhouse none of this woke (laughs) stuff i have to say i never really i would never if you're going to choose people to kind of front an edgy and you know banterific new brilliant way yeah Yeah, never since zinzan brock don't exactly come across as the banter merchants and jokey jokey types that are no 
You're going to be wanting, are they? It, uh, this is significant well. input from Yai and Evans. <laughs> what significant <laughs> input? It's what's distracting him from his job at the WIU. Call. Yeah. He's put 15 quid in. <laughs> That's his significant input. How old was Kai Evans at this point? Right? <laughs> Kai Evans was eight. And yeah. his dad disappeared <laughs> to put significant input into Ruck U. <laughs> I do wonder if this is what inspired Ollie Barkley's new lifestyle that he uh, documented in the, the lads mags about yes. locking his misters in the basement. I do wonder if that was at all inspired by Rukyu. Maybe it was. No nonsense, you know. Touchline truths. <laughs> oh, I wish Rukyu's... Actually, can, can we use the Wayback Machine? I was going to say... Oh, that's oh, a great yes. idea. <laughs> Why are you Hello. doing that? Shall, shall I, I've used a Wayback Machine to, to... Shall I read yes. you my contemporary thoughts? Please. Yes. Please oh my do. God. We've just added two hours onto the length of this podcast. I love yeah. it. No, it's, I was quite sure. I, I don't like writing because I keep it quite snappy. So um, I won't do the whole thing, but I opened it with humiliation, no more, no less, full stop. <laughs> yep. We all knew this was odds on for a defeat. Yeah, defeat we can handle. A brainless 36-0 defeat we cannot, it says here. England had everything but standstill, such as the capitulation to the strength of the South African team. It started and finishes with the forwards. There was much debate before the match about the 10-12 axis, because we've all made the mistake of taking the competitiveness of the forwards for granted. But Ashton could have played Vanessa Feltz and Lionel Blair in those shirts, <laughs> and the results would still would have been the same, it says oh, here. No. Yeah, I make some points about, I don't know why Tom Reese was taken off, which sounds like he was, he, he was injured. Mm-hmm. Where to go from here, I finish with. I think England will beat Samoa and they will then be mullered by the Wallabies. There's my first mistake. To show you that I've been <laughs> shit with predictions from the off. In a way, this game is a blessing in disguise as the last thing England fans needed was hope. I finish that's, on here. That's very good. But of course, and... then we got to the final. So <laughs> <laughs> Player ratings, so... I get Sean Perry won. Yeah. Yeah. From half is a very simple position. Get the ball away quickly and accurately. Box kick well. Marshal your forwards. He didn't do any of those things. <laughs> uh, well, it's got a pretty bad one. Paul Saki, I gave two because of terrible basics. Robinson, I gave an eight. Did you stand by the fact that he was the only one above a five? Yeah, it looks like. No, I gave six to Tom Reese. I think, just because you had to at that time. Because <laughs> you weren't allowed to <laughs> he say He was capped else. at six. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So I, I gave Gomelson a six. Looked like Gareth Edwards compared to Perry. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was, uh, I suppose, fairly consistent. Really. I gave Farrell a four. Spent mm-hmm. most of the time defending. I gave Jamie Noon a four. That seems. I think Farrell did better than Noon on a second watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Noon guys, did body slam Franz Bostain inexplicably, guys, but oh, guys. Josh. Oh, Josh, <laughs> right. guys. Well, there you go. Here's the real content from back then we want to hear about. Holy Never mind shit. When I was writing. <laughs> Holy shit. So, Rocky, uh, rugby's first virtual clubhouse, as it says, this is a, a capture from October 2007. So, just after the World Cup. And uh, if I were to tell you that the uh, featured, f- it's got a forum, obviously, is everything in 2007. Oh, classic. Did. Yeah. Some of the forum's popular topics are boys' films, uh, oh, Lads' no. Corner, <laughs> and popular tags in the forum include Norwich School First Eleven, football, <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> Super 14. the stuff, yeah. Goldsmiths, University of London, Goldsmiths Greyhound, oh, uh, Barclays Premiership, and Eva Mendes. <laughs> 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 I 
In our um, dual uh, Norwich school, we all wank over Eva Mendes together, basically. <laughs> basically, yes. And they have indeed got star bloggers, and it's literally Will Carling, Ian Evans, and Zinzan Brook. Will Carling's blog is is is, t- is subtitled "That Leg End in His Own Lunchtime." Ian Evans's one is the twinkle-toed Welsh wizard, and Zinzan Brook's one's the blunt yet somewhat skillful Kiwi enforcer. Here what's on Will Yian and Zanny's Zinny's mind and their own blogs. More rugby insiders will be airing their views soon. Oh. And literally, it's they've basically just been given their own like blog role. And Yian Evans has just posted like 20 times with no comments. I've said there are seven comments <laughs> on his last one, and none of it's been spell checked. So his his one his one after on October second two thousand seven. So this is just after Wales have gone out against Fiji, right? Dear all, I have been quite the lat lat few days. I'm sure you can understand why. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge Ryan Evans for not being able to t- like type because that's not his core skill set, even though I would point out that he is now chairman of the WIU. Drowning his sorrows at this time. Yeah, it's like... Basically, it's it's a a blog here pouring his heart out, understanding, like, basically understanding how well... Basically, what we were all feeling. How do you let Fiji do that? And I'll tell you what, this is some incredible insight. Who will be the next coach? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure it matters. The coach is not the problem. The system is. You're you're now the face oh! of the system, Yian. That's very anyway, telling. I can't say we deserved it. You can't make such simple errors in a World Cup quarterfinal. I'm off to be consoled by a tub of Hagen Dars, which he spells wrong. And that's um, just it's it's remarkable stuff. There's the Carling one. I have got... been quite the last few days. I tried. <laughs> I tried your the tab base, on the I belong top. to us. <laughs> I tried the tab on the top labeled sledges and oh. it seems to just be posting. It seems to be a sort of pre Twitter Twitter where you just post banter. <laughs> oh, God. 2007 probably was the peak banter year as well. Oh, sociologists yeah. and historians will reflect that. Can I just <laughs> say every day, uh, a classic bit of sexism here from Will Carling. Is a, a post that he's he's titled Zinzan with one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty four eighteen exclamation marks. <laughs> uh, I felt com- I'm not one who likes inverted commas outing my fellow bloggers, but I feel compelled to have to pass this on to the community of Rock U. Zinny, one of the gods of world rugby, supremely skillful, talented, and very hard. I think we all agree with that, right? Well, can you imagine what a shock it was? What a huge gut-wrenching shock to be told by a friend last night that Zinni, the great All Black, that legend of many a hard battle, that hard-nosed Kiwi, that legend, that demigod, plays netball once a week to stay fit. Netball, 10 exclamation marks. Netball, 10 (laughs) exclamation marks. That, like, it's that era of, like, men aren't allowed to do anything that isn't kill their own meat. Zinni and his brother like, play every week in pleated skirts and apparently are very friendly. <laughs> the punchline is the 18 exclamation marks. Word. That's how you know it's the punchline. Can I give you some top sledges from this website? Yes, yes please. please. Right. Please. So here's a great one. Here's a great one from Nobby Clark, right? Audio banterific name. This is his top sledge, right? He's posted a link to his ESPN Fantasy League. And then followed up with the next sledge, which is cock D 
didn't mean to post that. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one from Steve Walsh, who oh. I'm trying to look at the profile picture. I don't think it is that one, but also no, it is. It New is Zealand because they have listed their team supported Hurricanes and the All Blacks. Yeah, it's Steve Walsh. Let's just say it's Steve Walsh. So I think it's it, handsome Steve. It possibly could be. Be fair. And... This was the the time where I used to frequently have some Steve Walsh's relatives calling me a cunt on Twitter for saying that he <laughs> was uh, not a very good referee, which I stand by. And the other thing that really, really makes this definitely Steve Walsh is he is tagging a user called Miss Wild. Oh God! <laughs> okay, saying all's oh, going God. okay here. Busy enough at work. Kane season over. Bring on the All Blacks, but rugby enthusiasm has waned a bit this year. I am zooming in as much as I can on his profile picture, and I don't think it is. Actually, no, it's a photo of kids. So if Steve Walsh had kids, it could be him. <laughs> he who controls himself controls his comments section. This is yeah. so inane. Like, there's nothing even worth reading out as being awful or atrocious here. Well, it just it it, it reinforces the idea that fundamentally rugby men are dramatically less funny than they think they are. I think the problem is that a lot of these things, and I know this because I did a blog myself, are ultimately a reflection of the personality of the person who set them up. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is is that this one was Will Carling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I understand why man had a niche following. I think he was maybe setting his expectations too high about how uh, wide his personality would go. Here's an interesting one. I'm scrolling through my archive of this around about 2007. Mm. Obviously, we know we all know what happens to the Wales coach. Spoiler later, but I do a, bit, the a bit. I do a bit of a JP post. I did a, a job advert for the for the Wales. Oh, nice, job. nice, yeah. See if see if this rings any bells. Seventeen, near, nearly sixteen years on, we're looking for a, we're looking for a dynamic coach to join our elite team and lead Wales rugby into a new era. This is an exciting opportunity to lead a high profile team. Are you the type of person that loves totally unrealistic expectations? Do you lie awake at night yearning to be despised by millions of people? If so, this could be the opportunity for you. You will have experience of dealing with giant conflicting egos, proven ability of flailing about pointlessly while your employers have countless AGMs and EGMs to try and push through changes that might benefit you, only to have them blocked by the Secretary of Trident RFC Division 5 Southeast. Experience of being ignored being ignored by senior professionals, experience of being slagged off by senior professionals on television, ability to take on unrealistic expectations due to achievements of previous generations and resilience to perform while said generations constantly tell you tell the whole world how you and your team are not good enough. If wow. this sounds like you or the opportunity you want, then please get your psychiatrist to ring the WRU on. But I'm, glad, I'm out... glad most of that's been sorted all this yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Turns out think, Warren Gatlin was that guy. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think, Josh, you may, might have read that just before you saw that tweet saying Wayne Pivak should get the job? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's never going away, and I love it. <laughs> I'll stand by it. Oh, I tell you what, actually, when I dig back in the blogs, there's some gold coming up here. Oh, Someone joined 2007 said they saw the England team out drinking. Can you imagine such a thing? What a concept. <laughs> Peter then, Richards, mate. It was Peter Richards. That's all he did. From, Love's going out. Someone from 2009 has it on really good authority that Stephen Jones is going to sign for Cardiff. The Blues, as he refers to them, as they should correctly be known. Well, Said it was going to be yeah. Leicester Tigers, but actually he's going to go to Leicester because he wants to stay in Wales. That happened. And the other great thing here is in similar vein to Zinzan Brook, right? 
This is from The Mole, who shares mostly transfer rumours, and some of them, you know... Neil like Fisler. He... I was going to say. <laughs> Probably is. He's now You're a racist it could be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he broke the Sean Lamont to Scarlet story. So, ladies and gentlemen, I apologise for my absence recently. I had to lay low for a while. <laughs> but something has hit my Look, ears. he's been quiet the last few days. <laughs> <laughs> Something has hit my ears, which I feel needs to be shared. Rumour has it that the young Danny Cipriani has made an interesting investment over the past few weeks. For DC has swapped a black Range Rover Sport for the same model, but this time in pink. <laughs> now, I'm actually the, thinking that was worth writing about. <laughs> there's no news yet on his reason say. for his choice of colour. But I think we can all imagine a few reasons. <laughs> what I know more, I will tell you. But even the football world would question this. They questioned pink boots when Nicholas Bentainer previewed them at the Emirates. How will the rugby fraternity embrace pink cars? Just the, the sort of casual homophobia running through every single bit of like every one of these comments, whether it's Carling's one of like. You know, writing an entire blog because Zinzan plays netball. There's, right, um, so you like, could say that then, Josh. Well, you couldn't, but they just said it anyway. So. <laughs> they shouldn't. Have. Like, I'm looking at, there was a, like, later on, in, like, 2009, there was a merch section, which, tragically, oh, yes. the images do not load. Oh. But I do know that one of the T-shirts says, it'll all end in beers, which is oh, funny. Okay. Uh, I yeah. came, I saw, I rucked. That's another one. Uh-huh. I ruck, therefore I am. Oh, nurse, uh, my sides. We will rock you. Fancy a rock? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's good. Bam. I was, I was going to say, like, that's available in men's, two... women's, uh, slim fit or regular. Oh no! I was going to say, I, I expected all of these to have like some kind of like shitty punchline and thing like, oh yeah, yeah, let's make bootleg versions of this and realize rock.co.uk have beaten us to it. <laughs> yeah, big time. There are two comments on the Danny Cipriani pink car story. One of which says, am I the only one wondering where all the manly men have gone? <laughs> which, if you're talking about latent homophobia... It's Tony like... Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> and the other you one... Know, the strong, from... silent type. <laughs> my, ever fa- my next favourite is from Dewey, who says, Danny who? <laughs> oh, man. He's one of the promising a... youngsters left out of the squad. That's who. This is just... just truly remarkable stuff. Super 14, Goldsmiths, Eva Mendes. That's all I'm going to say. Back at this game, can you believe that Jason Robinson was fit for the Australia game? He, was right game he looks going like off his career covered is Covered in done. blood and his legs snapped in two, yeah. It's, yeah, we should probably wrap this up, shouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I say, no, Jamie let's, let's body slams Frank yeah. Yes, he um, does. Because we yeah, could. which is funny. The commentator says Jamie Noon is known for his big hits because he did a couple in a World Cup warm-up. <laughs> Pretty fair evaluation of him. Yeah, I mean, there's not much else other than there's a point where South Africa have a 5v1 and Paul Saki goes for a deliberate knock-on and is pretty much unpunished by it. It's one of the smartest moves of Paul Saki's career, other than retiring. Just Um, stop the ball from someone getting to I can't be bothered to even send you off now. Yeah. Yeah, then South Africa don't have the bonus point, do they? No, no, no. no. They go for goal instead of going for... Somehow, for some reason, they don't score four tries in this game and it is an absolute disgrace. I think they took pity. Yeah. 17 drop goal attempts didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, as the commentator puts it, England have put out their misery 
it's not even mm. South Africa pulled off a historic win, great margin, whatever. It's they're just like, no, poor England. Even the Australians are in that mindset. And we get to the end of the game, which means we can move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day. Should we start with Man of the Match? Because I think it might be quite a short segment. <laughs> yeah, mm. so. One guy I had written down was Harvey Norman. Yeah. Uh, selling great his plasma, plasma screen television. Plasma television. That guy. And I think the fact that he briefly distracted us from what was going on in the game was actually, he was a great service to England, I think. So um, Harvey mm. Norman has to be right up there. But truthfully, there were th- three different occasions where I wrote down Fauri Dupree's name in the Man of Match section because I couldn't think of anybody else who was having nearly as good a game as him. So I just had to really keep reiterating that the dif- I thought the Fauri difference Dupree between was the best him player. and everyone else on that field is remarkable. Yeah, so my vote's Fauri Dupree. Fauri Dupree could have done nothing for the next, like, from about 15 minutes onwards, he could have gone off and I think he still would have been man of the match. Mm. I thought he was absolutely unreal. It was genuinely when we've done this, you know, over the, the full run of this podcast, when we've covered like the the range of performances and like the absolute going from like Stefano Grazzoni for Italy in the 87 at the bottom. And when you get to the top and it's sort of, it's Thierry Doucetois, it's Richie McCall, it's Ander Monroe. And I think this by Fauri Dupree is right up there as one of the best we've covered in this podcast. I think he's ridiculously good. Like he mm. kicks exceptionally as well as creating all three tries for the Springboks. Yeah, no, I, I have nothing to add. It is genuinely just, he's so much better than everyone else. He's no, he's no Tom Reese though, is he? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Six out of ten. Hard, the, the only person who came even remotely close, I think, and and even then, it was probably only for about an hour, really. I, I thought Franz Stein was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah was, actually. Really, really good. But, I mean, obviously not nowhere near as... I just thought I was throwing another name in there, but he was still a good, you know, mm. a fair few steps down from what... Because it was it was almost the perfect performance. Yeah. It's it's, it's literally... You, you give it, it... It went all the way up to 11. Yeah. The amount of good things I've got written down that he did that we've not spoken about is probably oh. what sums it up. Yes. He puts in about 800 kicks. I reckon yeah. 801 of them are almost perfect. Yeah. They're <laughs> completely ridiculous. And he inspires and... everyone else to do 800 brilliant kicks as well. He's stupidly good. Absurd. And this officially moves him above Scott Lawson as the current player of the tournament. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, the joy the of having four people in one episode. We'll see yeah. which of those pulls it back. Which of those has a stronger closing half of this World Cup? <laughs> And should we move on to Dick of the Day? Uh, Mark Regan. Okay, go on. Talk I through mean, it. Just, I mean, business decision, line out throwing, general effort, general demeanor, <laughs> post career. It's just everything about him. Not just on this, just not in this game, just like the entirety of Mark Regan. And also Will Carling as well. (laughs) So, I mean, I think I have two real standout contenders. One is Mike Cat, just generally, just extraordinary performance of sheer nothingness and knocking the ball on under no pressure five meters out from the try line. Just consistent. It was a pretty shocking bad pass. It was a bad pass, but I am going to blame Mike Cat in this instance. But the other thing I think that's truly extraordinary was there's a there's a line out move that England run first phase where they have a really good maul goes and they it's in the maul for about ten straight minutes and they make about ten meters and that's progress for this England team 
and it's going reasonably well. It's got like one of their standout moments of the game is they make about 10 meters off the line-out drive and the referee puts his arm out for advantage. And England go, okay, let's play. Let's run our best set-piece move, which is a miss pass to Jamie Noon who crashes it up. <laughs> Except Noon knocks it on as he catches the ball, falls over. And then as the referee runs back to award the penalty, he runs over the pack and goes over and starts shouting, brilliant drive, brilliant drive, lads. <laughs> as though he hasn't just ruined it with his knock-on. <laughs> and you know what? Everyone's contributing to that team. And therefore, I think on the back of that, my dick of the day is Clive Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to say Matt Stevens for the, you can't stand offside, you can't do this, and you can't use your shoulder. But I think my dick of the day, because I don't know who it was, and I think it might be the same as Josh, whoever was calling England's lineouts. Mm. is absolutely my dick of the day because I, I, I don't know if it was it was it still the hooker in those days who would actually give the code out or Probably would so be, it could yeah. be Mark Regan I don't know before it, I mean it I, I can't imagine anyone other than Mark Regan choosing to do that fucking ridiculous throw over the top on his own line thing like nobody no lock is going to choose what, to do that surely what I know as well who I want to know who you know like did like genius ideas in history mm. who who is it and we need to do some researches. Who is the one who worked out you don't have to shout your line-out calls? <laughs> so you don't have to. Because yeah. for years, didn't we? we always spend hours more. at training going, Buffalo, 275, Buffalo, outside, Scarlets. And then, like, you know, <laughs> and then somebody on the opposing team would go, it's a long one, it's a, it's a long one, because they'd like to work it out. And then sometime about, I'm, I want to say, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. they all just started whispering to each other. And it was like, that is a fucking great idea. Who's, cre- <laughs> who's, do- who's created this? Because surely they need we to get in the We don't even have to come up with a stupid code. We just have to, like, just say it. Sorry yeah. to me, yeah? Yeah. Scratch teams are the worst, where you just, your code is, if you, if you throw three numbers, and if the last one was over 100, it was back. If it was over 50, it was a middle. And like, it was just, Yeah. But yeah, for years we, we were labouring under this like strange enigma machine type approach to to well, doing lineouts. Then somebody just said, "Oh, we could just we could just quietly whisper it to each other. We all know what's going on." Yeah, was it when Paul O'Connell decided to learn Afrikaans to sort of <laughs> nick lineout calls during the two thousand and nine Lions? And then is they were there just a like, second "Look, row alive that has learned Afrikaans." Yeah, none. <laughs> like none all there. of them. There's a story about basically every lock of the last thirty years learning Afrikaans. Do you think it's like Samson's hair? <laughs> you know that if you speak Afrikaans, you get ten times stronger than normal people. Like even like when Samson has his hair grow, so it's like Robbie now. He's ten times stronger than everyone else. Uh, he's got Samson. Yeah. Undoubtable. I think it feels a little bit like that, doesn't it? It's like well, it? Yeah. the reason why they're all so strong is because they can speak Afrikaans. That's what it is. Just, <laughs> Some Springbok fans would have you believe that. No, actually, so much it's stronger it's human than everyone else. And steroids. <laughs> So I've got an, like a record list of Dick of the Day nominations here. <laughs> and let me tell you, they're almost the exact English. same list as the 23 people in the England <laughs> So let's let's go through some of these. Jacques Ferry dropped the ball over the try line. Yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah, just yeah. say that that is a yeah. twice, twice effectively. Contender. Like, because he drops yeah. it, then picks it up and that drops it again. a physical it's impairment. True. He can't do anything yeah. about those. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, Mark Regan, for reasons previously covered, Percy Montgomery for missing about 15,000 drop goals in a, yes. team, a game where his team still won by 36 I'm still, points. I'm still having the sort of look of just like uh, extreme arrogance about him. It's like yeah. at least have a bit of humidity when you miss it. Doesn't even have the decency to sweat. No. <laughs> 
Sean Perry for grubber kicking the ball out on the fall somehow. No, yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Jason Robinson for agreeing to play, frankly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> should not Still have turned up. Dignifying this with his presence. He should have done a runner. It's ridiculous. Tried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, maybe that was why he turned his back on the ball Thursday, whereas the cameras <laughs> were on. Like, no, no, I've got to stay on the pitch. <laughs> Trying to slip away quietly, then they kicked it down well, my obviously wing. the reason why he came back frustrated, he wasn't actually injured. He ran in and went, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh, no, it's, no, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone, lads. It's fucked. Not running with this. Oh. I'm done. See, I had the ball as well. Yeah, yeah I had like, And they can't just come back to the, the final, and I was like, you know what? I feel great, actually. You, get, you can't, yeah. just put, you can't pull feels... a sickie and go back in the next day, can you? So I'll have to miss the Samoa game, pretend it's still giving me gym. Joel Juch for forgetting it was half time. Oh, yes. God, yeah, can that you that to me? <laughs> <laughs> it 40 minutes, you start seeing a scrum, and then Jax is watching and goes, oh shit, we should be in the sheds. And only, and only, <laughs> and only, and only noticing that 5,000 people were lying on the ball after an hour. <laughs> I've done um, it once, what more do you want? Fucking hell. I can't remember what the laws were back then. They only watched it going, he's off. That's, 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 that's a penalty. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> remember. You forget where, where the laws are. Anyway, sorry, yeah, no, that's okay. Josh Lucy for passing for J- to Jason Robinson before he got injured. Shouldn't have yeah. done it. Andy Farrell for passing to himself with about three minutes to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Throwing the ball up in the air and going, oh, wait, no, that's probably mine, isn't it? <laughs> Very strange. Somehow none of us have mentioned Ben Kay in the Dick of the Day section for whatever the fuck that was on his left foot. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my Dick of the Day list. Just a few of them. And I probably could have carried on there. Ultimately, I think Ben Kay did do the most dickish thing. But I think it would be a miss if I didn't give my dick of the day to Sean Perry for the fact that he, in fact, perished, as you said, Lee. He just never came back again. Literally so ending, think, his, ending his England career yeah, in like, the front of our very eyes. If Sean Perry, in this lifetime, played in a Rugby World Cup and never, ever had a dick of the day nomination on this podcast, I feel like it would be wrong. So there he is. He's got one now. That's very, very fair. Imagine, imagine a bald scrum half that is probably too old and nobody ever thinks should go to a World Cup actually happening and playing for England. You know, under Eddie Jones. It. Imagine the madness of that. Imagine, you know. Yeah, uh, Joe Simpson, 2011. <laughs> Scandalous. Yeah. Willie Hines. Yeah, Willie Hines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Willie Hines. 2015. There must, there must always be one. Only World Cup in recent memory where that didn't happen. Probably, what yeah. a strange bald man went with England. <laughs> it's come out for England for spurious reasons. Where Jason Statham got called up to play nine. <laughs> We're going to have bald spot Dan Robson next year, or this year. <laughs> I can't wait. That is the, the, the Balthwick effect. You know, he's going to bring him back and really reconnect with the nation through calling up Dan Robson for the sheer narrative of it. You know, he has the story. He has the, yeah. the true story. 2015, clubs in a 2015 week. was Care, Wigglesworth and Youngs. They've all got full that's heads ahead. That, that's really quite competent, that, isn't it? That it is. Yeah. Relentlessly like, competent. And inform Ben Young as well. That's yeah. Worse. They didn't fancy like playing Makovezic at nine or anything like that. We must have done really well in that tournament, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get on to that in a future series. Well, we covered, we had, we had we'll um... Lee and Josh on for that game. Yeah. <laughs> We had no, we had Stuart Lancaster on last week to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) It was silent for an hour. (laughs) The Northern Man stands over Zoom. I think you're on mute, Stu. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) He couldn't do the podcast because there's no direct flights in from Leeds. (laughs) 
<laughs> Lee, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find yourselves and the podcast and everything else, which they already know, but, you know, for posterity's sake. <laughs> Just in case you don't know, I'm at Blood and Mud. That's the Twitter. Uh, I'm at Josh Gardner on the Twitter. And every Monday, usually sometime around half ten at night, we publish an episode most weeks. It's like this, but with gardening instead of rugby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with rugby that is mostly relevant. I am definitely going to try to feature that. Mostly we the Every week now, Josh, find a mid to late 2000s horrible rugby website to pull out of the Wayback Machine. But we can spend 20 minutes talking about it every week. <laughs> it is what it's people say feature. about the podcast, is that it needs to be longer. Yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. More arcane, yeah. And same with this one. So we are going to bring it <laughs> to a close. No, 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 no. Thank you both for doing it. Sorry, Lee. Thanks, lads. And Much sorry, Josh, as well, actually. You know, I feel we haven't shared the apologies around widely enough. Please join us next week when the game, all being well, should be Fiji against Japan in a high-scoring banger by the looks of things. And I'm sorry, neither of you got that one instead. <laughs> I was going to say, what do we know about that one? <laughs> Fucking hell. We'll see you then for that. In the meantime, good night, everybody. Goodbye. R.I.P. Sean Murray. Good night and good luck. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.